Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It is Friday, October 18th, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, it's another Romana Rundown with Sun-Times editor Romana Hussein, professor and author David Ferris, and 20th Ward Alderwoman Jeanette Taylor. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist. <laughs> What's so funny? <laughs> Just thought of this organ in the background. I love the organ. Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Another Point of View Friday. And here's why. So as we head into day two of the teacher strike, I figure, you know, team, time to get another point of view. You know, on our show, uh, we've been listening a lot to the teachers who are striking. Let's see, we've and uh, union reps. We've had Stacey Davis-Gates uh, in the studio. We've had Brandon Johnson in the Yay studio. Yay for our teachers! <laughs> Yay for our teachers! Uh, Bruce Rahner has not been in the studio, but I'm sure he you know, has had a change. In heart, he's yeah, been in the studio. Heart. <laughs> Oh, Ben, uh, marijuana is bad. Anyway. uh, (laughs) He moved. He sold the house, Uh, D. Gotta go. Come out of here. Uh, I think he bought a couple more condos in the loop. Anyway, enough on Bruce Rauner. Uh, Andrea Parker was here yesterday. Uh, Jim Steros, uh, uh, a teacher from King High, was here. Uh, Andrea brought her mom. We even had the mother of a teacher in here. What's going on, Audrey? I see you out there. So we've had a lot of teachers. We've heard the teacher's point of view, as they uh, point out. The necessity uh, to uh, help kids in uh, high crime areas, in uh, low income schools, from impoverished communities, try to get through life sanely and safely by, among other things, uh, making sure that they have nurses and social workers and counselors and librarians in their school to prepare them for a future where they're going to be competing with kids from high income neighborhoods where. Of course, they have nurses and social workers and counselors uh, and librarians in their schools. And by the way, if their kids are struggling in those schools, even with those wraparound services and even with the lower class size, the parents have enough money to take the kid for help, for tutoring, for therapy, whatever the kid needs. So, you know, it's just, I had the teachers in here. I listened to them point out how unfair it is for kids from poor communities not to have access to just a fraction, a tiny fraction of the same benefits that most middle class and upper class and wealthy kids just assume they're going to get, all right? So we've heard uh, their point of view about how that's a necessity for a civilized society like we have here in the city of Chicago. To get the other point of view, D, you know what I did? 
I read the Tribune. Yes, sir. Home delivered. I support the Tribune with my subscription. You're welcome, Tribune. All right, so just so everybody knows, the Tribune's editorial board and most of its columnists who weigh in uh, on the teacher strike are uh, to the far right, to the right of Mitch McConnell on this thing, all right? So I figure, well, see what what the Tribune has to say. And what did I discover? I discovered that the Tribune said, Harumph! We cannot afford nurses, social workers, and counselors. Harumph! It's going to raise taxes on ordinary working people. John Cass, uh, Dennis's favorite columnist, said it would... Re- oh, yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to wake you up over there. <laughs> yeah. uh, John Cass. One more time, D. It's John Cass, not Johnny Cash, yeah, okay? I know. Get it straight, yeah. all right? Uh, it said that uh, hiring more uh, te- uh, social workers and nurses would... Drive people into serfdom. How about that, D? It's going to make us serfs if we have nurses uh, and social workers and counselors in the poorest of poor schools. Uh, but this follows up on uh, John Cass's recommendation that we hire nurses only if teachers pay for them. An interesting uh, recommendation from uh, Mr. Cass. I, like I said, I'm wondering if the Tribune is going to ask its reporters and columnists to pay for the editors who, uh, who clean up their copy. Uh, copy, maybe. You know, it's good for the goose, good for the gander. Anyway. So that's the that's the thing. Uh, suddenly, when it comes to hiring nurses and social workers and counselors and librarians to help kids in the poorest schools, the city of Chicago, uh, with the overcrowded classrooms, or maybe hiring more teachers to reduce overcrowding, the Tribune says we cannot afford it. Suddenly, the Tribune is like an accountant. We can not afford it. We've done the numbers. It'll be a burden to the taxpayers. But it's kind of funny when it came uh, to handing out $1.3 billion, with a B, to uh, <laughs> the developers in Lincoln Yards. Hmm. I didn't see the Tribune or anybody at the Tribune worried about taxpayers. I didn't see them worried about the $1.1 billion we handed out to the developers of the 78. Isn't that interesting? It was property taxes. Same money that's going to be spent, uh, perhaps, to pay for the nurses. But when it comes to paying for nurses, ugh, we can't afford it. When it comes to the $1.3 billion for uh, Lincoln Yards, woohoo, we can afford it. Hey, how about the Amazon deal? Anybody remember the Amazon deal? Everybody's forgotten the Amazon deal. That was the one where... What's the Amazon deal? That was the one where Dennis's favorite governor, Bruce Rauner... All right, so uh, John Cass, my favorite... Boy, my future's screwed if someone listens to that. Dennis, we want to hire you. Oh, we listened to a previous <laughs> Ben Jarofsky show. You love John Cass and Bruce Rauner. <laughs> uh, so I just wanted to make you sure. You and me for life, buddy. <laughs> Come hell or high water. Bruce Rauner and Bayer Rahm. Remember that one, D? They wanted to give $2.3 billion at least. Who knows? They wouldn't tell us exactly. But, hey, money was no problem when it came to for uh, Amazon. Tribune was, was uh, like a little pom-pom squad. Go, Amazon, go. Give them the money. Go. You know, they weren't worried about how much it was going to cost the taxpayer. They weren't worried about whether it was going to reduce us to serfdom, whether this is going to be the road to serfdom. Uh-uh. When it came to giving out money to Amazon, the world's richest country, they weren't Scrooge. They were like, party like a rock star, dude. <laughs> i tell you what, Tribune has a funny way of looking at things. Somehow or other, when they're taking our property tax dollars and giving them to the world's richest companies and some of the, the area's richest developers, it's not a tax hike. But when you spend the money to hire nurses and counselors and librarians for kids in the poorest schools, it is. It's a funny way of looking at things over at the Chicago Tribune. 
We got a great show today, everybody. Ramana Hussein will be here in, in uh, studio. She is every Friday. In fact, we're going to have a little fun. Ramana is, of course, an editor to Sun-Times. We're going to have her edit Donald Trump's letter, the letter that Donald Trump wrote to the president of Turkey. It'd be fun uh, hearing Ramana Hussein do that. At uh, 2 o'clock, David Ferris will be in the studio. We haven't had him on in a while. He's a Roosevelt University political science professor. I wrote a book, It's Time to Fight Dirty Democrats. And David Ferris is going to break down all the news uh, coming out of Washington these, these days and the presidential race. Uh, are the candidates being forceful enough on impeachment? Are they letting President Trump get away with murder? Uh, and how would Republicans respond if it was the Democrats uh, up to these uh, up to no good like Donald Trump? Uh, that's one of David Ferris's favorite themes that he loves to investigate. It's uh, part of the theme, what the major theme in, of his book, It's Time to Fight Dirty. So uh, we'll have David Ferris here at 2 o'clock and then 2.30, boy. Woo! Alder woman Jeanette Taylor from the 20th Ward. She tells it like it is. You know, we've, uh, Stacey Davis Gates has been coming on, uh, whatever, well, as, as soon as I had access to a microphone and a radio station, uh, Stacey Davis Gates was a guest, and she's been a guest on the podcast. Folks, uh, uh, so I'm glad the rest of the city has caught up with us, D, and they now recognize uh, Stacey Davis Gates for the powerful force that she is from the Chicago Teachers Union, of course. Jeanette Taylor's no joke, folks. She's right there with Stacey Davis Gates. She's got a lot to say, and she's not afraid to say it. So we'll bring her on 2.30, get her opinion about everything from, oh, the teacher strike. I'm sure she's got a lot of opinions on that. How about the, the, the reefer law that the city council passed the other day? She was one of the 10 no votes. We'll see what she has to say about that. And she may have a thing or two to say about Donald Trump. And she may bring some reefer. Who knows? That'd be awesome. I really doubt that. Oh, okay. uh, no, I, uh, uh, by the way, is Tommy Shuba coming in? <laughs> reefer writer, <laughs> Tom Shuba. Yeah, he's the guy that uh, we count on for reefer. Anyway, so it'll be a great show. Uh, Romana Hussein, David Ferris, and Jeanette Taylor. But before we do any of that, the pride and joy of Alton, the young man they call the doctor, has the news. How's it going, everybody? I'm Dennis. You're the only person who calls me a doctor. That's actually not true anymore. If you notice that? Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> well, hey, Doc. How's it know, going? When we, when we uh, do live broadcast, Dr. D, <laughs> hey. Like, oh, hi. <laughs> Guess I'm stuck with that for life. <laughs> All right, everybody. How's it going? Let's talk about uh, the news going on. And you know what we're talking about. It's Chicago Teacher Strike Day 2. And once again, I was reminded of that early this morning by car horns. So many car horns. (laughs) I live right across the street from a high school. Like, good Lord, they're hawking like crazy. But it looks like we may be getting somewhere with these negotiations finally. Both the city of Chicago and the teachers union have come to an agreement on one issue. Class size. Whoa, that's a that's a big issue. CPS has agreed to identify schools in crisis in class size needs, according to a source within the Chicago Teachers Union. The school district also called for a joint CPS CTU committee that would identify class size numbers regularly, maybe monthly. In schools with a greater need, on the table is about nine million dollars to cover such an effort. A drop in uh, a drop in the drop of the bucket of CPS's proposed seven point seven billion dollar budget the source said it's the beginning of a discussion it's huge the union also wants caps on classroom sizes enforced so negotiations continue larger sticking points here by the way this comes from illinois politico shout out to shia kapos and illinois politico uh, larger sticking point cps wants to lock teachers into a five-year contract with the union finds well, which the union finds outrageous and union leaders want to cross the board increases in nurses and social workers that the city says would be financially unfeasible also up for discussion is affordable housing for students and teachers 
It's not exactly a salary issue, but it is part of CTU's border demands for a better investment in the school system. All right, so we have some audio to play here. We have both sides of the story. Mm -hmm. All right, first up, let's hear from Mayor Lightfoot. She held a press conference this morning. And boy, if there's one thing to take away from this, the ball is in CTU's court. Here's Lori. Well, the ball's in their court. We put a fulsome, comprehensive offer on the table. And as I've said now for many weeks, they need to respond in kind with a comprehensive counteroffer. And we need to be at the table every single day, seven days a week, at least 10 hours a day until we get a deal done. So the ball is very much in their court. We didn't leave the table. Uh, D, where's the ball? In their court. Oh, okay, just want to make sure. The Very ball. much in their court. <laughs> Very much in their court. Well, now, is that a basketball reference or a tennis reference? I, I can't get the words out. I do not know. Right? Where's Frank? Ask him. <laughs> the ball is in their court. You know, I say it all the time. Oh, the ball is in your court. I, tennis, wouldn't you say? I would, th- I would, I would say tennis. tennis. Like, yeah, yeah. I have to hit it back to you. And uh, Lori Lightfoot, by the way, was a point guard in high school. Did you know that? <laughs> I don't know if she ever played tennis, uh, but uh, yeah, listen, uh, the ball, is, you know, it's uh, incumbent upon Lori Lightfoot uh, to put the pressure on the union and say, uh, you know, they could settle this right now. The fact of the matter is she got elected in April, was it, D? Yep. Uh, and now it's uh, October, right? And um, okay, asking me the most obvious questions. Yes, it's October. Well, these are the ones I know you can answer, right? Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, so I don't want to throw any curveballs at you. Like, name the rookie who scored 29 points for the Bulls last night. Kobe White. Wow. Dang, man. Look at the brain on Brad. Uh, but anyways, you know, you, I would have liked to believe that uh, the leaders of the union and uh, Lori Lightfoot could have gotten together. I don't know in may you know just informally talk and work things out but apparently uh they couldn't so the ball is in their court uh on october 18th let's hope they hit it back uh triumphantly for everybody how about that d you said that class sizes is something that you made some progress in yesterday or this morning actually you said that 80 to 90 percent of classrooms across the city are still now being addressed. That's not that's not accurate because 80 plus percent of classrooms across the city have no issues with class sizes. It's a small percentage. We have made some progress. We put together um, a new proposal uh, earlier in the week before the strike happened to address some of the issues that had been raised in discussions. The ball's in their court, but we have made some progress. But there's still a lot of open issues that we have to get to, which is why we've made a specific request at least 10 hours a day, seven days a week, including weekends, and they, the principals, either Jesse Sharkey or Stacey Davis-Gates, have to be at the table in order for this to move forward. All right, that's interesting. Uh, Stacey Davis-Gates and Jesse Sharkey have to be at the table, but she doesn't. Uh, but in terms of class size, listen, I'm not going to minimize this. This is a difficult uh, situation that the Chicago public schools have faced for years and years and years, in part because so much of their populations, we talk about there's homeless kids. They may start in one school and then uh, switch to another school. There's kids who move to the city all the time, uh, the kids who shift in and out of class, uh, in and out of different schools. So uh, principals and teachers, for as long as I've been following the public schools of Chicago, had to deal with this in a way that like their suburban counterparts uh, don't have to deal with uh, because it's a much more stable student enrollment body in the suburbs where it's dictated by your largely dictated by your ability to afford the housing uh, in the suburbs. So that's the reality uh, that Chicago faces that it's the suburban counterparts don't face. I would have liked to believe that 
it, it sometime over 40 years of watching this that uh, the leaders of the Chicago public schools and the leaders of the teachers union and the political leaders in the city would have addressed this issue and figured out a way uh, to deal with it. Uh, but um, unfortunately, they haven't for a great deal of the time I've been covering uh, uh, school politics in Chicago. The teachers union didn't even get involved in this, Steve. Uh, the teachers union was largely a union dedicated to uh, what they call bread and butter issues, salary and that kind of thing. It's changed uh, drastically since Karen Lewis took charge in 2010 and Stacey Davis Gates is sort of inheriting that mantle. But um, it's uh, so this is the first time that I can recall that this has been uh, an issue at the bargaining table. And like everything else in this strike, the worst possible place to deal with these complicated issues of poverty is the bargaining table. It's uh, uh, during a union contract. I can't think of a worse place to do it. You would like to think that all sides could get together away from the pressures of having to sign a contractual agreement and figure this stuff out as sort of partners in all this. But that's not been the way it's done in the city of Chicago for as long as I've been following the schools. So let's hope things change uh, at, with this strike. All right, now the ball's in my court. We got one more uh, clip to play here from Lori's press conference this morning. Jesse also said that you're saying there's no more money. Uh, it is stonewalling. What do you say to that? No, the fact is there is no more money. Period. What is the latest proposal that's been put on the table in terms of staffing um, and when it comes to the social, uh, sorry, social workers' council well, look, I don't want to get into the specifics. I think that's more appropriate for the bargaining table. But suffice it to say, we made very specific commitments to staffing back in August when the CPS passed its budget. 200 plus more teachers, I'm sorry, uh, uh, nurses, counselors, um, and uh, special ed uh, case managers. Um, there's been some discussion about um, how we move that forward. Um, last weekend, before the strike happened, we made a commitment to put 400 thousand dollars as a set aside specifically to help build the pipeline for staffing um, but there's still open issues that we have to resolve well you know i tell you i've said this uh, many times in the show d there's uh, a big difference between uh, putting in the budget uh, a, a, salary for a nurse and actually hiring a nurse. And so uh, that's an issue uh, that the, the teachers union is trying to force uh, Mayor Lightfoot to agree to, to put it in the contract. So look, it's words there. It is a tennis game, D. It's just like batting it back and forth. Uh, and uh, I don't know. I do not know. It could be really interesting to see if Lord Lightfoot actually agrees to put uh, these jobs in the contract because right now uh, the state law exempts her from that responsibility. And if she does put it in the contract, uh, then it's an obligation, one more obligation that she has, more and more commitment she has to the public schools. I would welcome it. Uh, I would welcome that co commitment, but I, I have to see it to believe it. The mayor of the city of Chicago agrees to that. All right, moving on here. We've heard the mayor's thoughts. Now, thankfully, this morning, as I was watching TV, I couldn't find my remote control. Seriously, I couldn't. And it was stuck on Fox 32. But luckily, uh -huh. Stacey Davis Gates was on Fox 32 and a fellow by the name that you know very well, Maze Jackson, yeah, for friend. Fox 32. They were talking about the uh, teacher strike. Not together. Not separately, together. Separately. Okay. Yeah, they were on the same program, but separately talking about the teacher strike. So uh, let me start here and say that I think while we're talking a lot about uh, CTU, this is really a power play. This is really CTU flexing their muscle uh, after the election. I think they had a lot of plans if Tony Preckwinkle would have been elected. Seeing that 
that she wasn't there, like they're going to teach this mayor a lesson. I also questioned. Yes, do, do you think uh, Tony is the puppet master here in the background? I wouldn't say she's the puppet master, but I'm going to say that she's probably nudging things ahead and and not saying, "Hey, how can we fix this?" Because again, Push harder. You could do this. You can get more. I thing. think Tony Preckwinkle could be a great opportunity to bring these people to bring everybody together. But I think that she has a vested interest in seeing this strike weaken the mayor. Okay, so five-year deal. You work on a contract. I do. Scott does. Uh, would, if your bosses came to you and said we could do a five-year deal uh, or a three-year deal. Sure, if my boss came to me and said I could get a one-year deal at the way things <laughs> work these days, I would take it. But I think a five-year deal is, I mean, th that even outlasts the, the mayor's uh So that's why term. some people suspect that it could be politics here because it, it's, it's not, timing. It's not suspecting it's politics. This is all politics. This is Chicago. So we got to understand what is happening here. They will have no stronger leverage than at this point right now uh, with Mayor Lightfoot. So it's all politics and uh, Preckwinkle's <laughs> involved as well, according to Maze Jackson. Ben. I love Maze Jackson. Uh, just, I got to put this out there, Maze, old friend. He used to have a radio show on WBOM many years ago, uh, and he occasionally would have me on, and I guess he figured I was too lefty and wouldn't have me on. That's okay, Maze. I forgive you. All right. Uh, but anyway, we debated marijuana. Uh, did you know that, D? Many years ago, we had a very interesting debate on marijuana. I was for legalizing, and he wasn't, but whatever. Uh, so Maze is a little more conservative than I am, politically speaking. Uh, but uh, I'm very proud of him. He got that good gig at uh, Channel 32. Hope you got a good contract, Maze. Hope you got a better contract than the teachers have uh, with that gig at Channel 32. But uh, it's so funny he would raise Tony Preckwinkle's. Why are you raising Tony Preckwinkle's name? Tony Preckwinkle got clobbered in the last election. She's got less power pretty much than any of the five main politicians uh, in the state of Illinois when you think about it, D. When you think about the big five, Tony is like at the bottom of the list. And yet everybody loves to pick on Tony. You know, it's so funny that let's bash Tony. I, re, I remember Mays was very critical of Tony Preckwinkle with the soda pop tax. What did he call her? He had a nickname for her. What was it, D? I can't remember. The the, the soda pop queen or what Sugar was it? Sugar queen. Sugar queen, you know? So, uh, it's... So it's just so funny that Tony Preckwinkle, who was humiliated in the last election, has probably less power than anybody uh, of the major five, Cullerton, Madigan, Pritzker, uh, Lightfoot, and then Preckwinkle, a distant fifth, is suddenly being thrown out there like she's the power player behind the scenes. What did he say? She's got a vested interest in seeing the mayor weaken. Why? She's not running for mayor again. Tori Preckwinkle got clobbered. What does she gain if, if Lori Lightfoot looks bad at this, at this fight? Look, ma'am, I agree with Mays in this. There's politics involved in absolutely everything in the city of Chicago, but there's a basic fundamental point here. This is how I would position it. It's how are we going to spend the money that we have? I put it out there at the very top of the show. There's always forces in the city that want to take our property tax dollars and give it to developers or give it to Amazon. And then there's forces in our city that want to use it to hire nurses or counselors or social workers, union jobs. All right. So that is a struggle. That is a political struggle. That's a very real struggle here in the city of Chicago. Uh, and uh, folks, the, the people who pay the taxes, the people who vote in the elections, or even the people who should be voting in elections don't, but don't vote in elections have to decide. 
How do they want their tax dollars spent? Do they want to go into the Amazons of the world? Do they want to go into the Lincoln Yards of the world? Or do they want to go into nurses and counselors in the public schools? That is a political That is a political decision that the voters of the city of Chicago have to make. And you know what? When Lori Lightfoot was running for mayor of the city of Chicago, she did nothing to lead people to believe that she was going to side with the Lincoln Yards of the world against the nurses and the social workers of the world. She, in fact, it was just the opposite. She said that she was against the Lincoln Yard deal, and she wanted nurses hired in the public schools. So now here we are, what is it, six months into her reign, and she has uh, used her lawyers to destroy the lawsuit that challenged the Lincoln Yard handout, and she's, like, fighting, uh, hiring, you know, the union's attempts to put it in the contract to hire more nurses. So there is a political struggle. Mays is absolutely correct, but the political struggle is not between Tony Preckwinkle and Lori Lightfoot. The political struggle is to, to, to determine how are we going to spend the money that we give to our government. That's a very real struggle that's ongoing and has been ongoing for as long as I've been in the city of Chicago. So that's Team Lightfoot, all right? We've heard from that team. Now let's hear from the teachers. Like I said, Stacey Davis-Gates was on Fox this morning as well. CTU Vice President Stacey Davis-Gates joining us again this morning. Yeah. Okay, don't get too excited, Fox. <laughs> My goodness. They love Stacey Davis. Suddenly Fox has discovered Stacey. Wow, she's really good. I've heard more enthusiastic intros. CTU Vice President Stacey Davis-Gates joining us again this morning. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We got to hear her again. Joining us again. Oh, can we have Mays back? We uh, like Mays. Uh, all right, so I got, uh, let's see, I got five clips from Stacey Davis-Gates on Fox. All five equally awesome second day of the strike and you know union leaders they received a written offer a contract offer about the class size so to me that sounds like progress but you guys were at the table how do you feel well I feel good that we finally have an offer in writing we've been saying that for the last 10 months that we needed offers in writing that reflected the transformation that we've been working for for the last 10 years to be honest with you um, you know lots of people are asking why are you striking we're striking because we have nurses who are only in schools one day a week with students who have diabetes, with students who have asthma, students who need a nurse there all five days. We're striking because class sizes in Chatham and in Bronzeville um, top over 40 in classrooms. We're striking because social workers are desperately needed in communities that are dealing with unparalleled trauma. Okay, and, so, and just really quickly, so having it in writing, and as I was saying earlier with Dr. Jackson, everybody can make promises. Yes. But, you know, you have seen, and I'm sure you know, we've seen promises of promises, but if it's not in writing and management changes, if it's not in writing, it doesn't matter. Well, we've seen years of promises. Um, since 1995, we've been promised efficiencies. We've been promised equity. Um, since the mayor has had control of the Chicago public schools, we had a mayor that closed down 50 schools. We have that mayor took two strikes from the Chicago Teachers Union. And now we have a mayor who has made promises to transform, to be a just mayor, to lead with an equity lens. And we're just asking her to put that in writing. All right, that's an interesting exchange. By that, the the Fox uh, TV announcer sounds like uh, a column by me when she's interviewing Stacey Davis Gates. You know, yeah, it's a, if you, at least if you don't get it in writing, it's no good, right? Wow, that's very good, Fox TV news announcer. But then, you know, when it's Mays Jackson on, she's like, oh, man, what a bunch of politicians, right? And Mays is like, yeah, yeah, they just want to 
it's just a fight with Tony Preckwinkle. So anyway, it's, hey, man, I, listen, it can't be easy being a Fox TV announcer with this strike because you got to deal with the unions, uh, Stacey Davis Gates. But, yeah, she lays it out there, D. Uh, how are we, are we going to spend the money on uh, things like uh, Lincoln Yards and Amazon? Or are we going to spend the money on our schools? That's a central issue. That's the central issue that Tony uh, Preckwinkle lost. Uh, she was at, well, forget Tony Preckwinkle for the moment, that Lori Lightfoot uh, had to deal with now that she's a mayor of the city of Chicago. One of the divides, at least as of this morning, is a sense of urgency. As Anita just alluded to, we had Dr. Jackson sitting right where you are. Uh, she seems to believe that her sense of urgency is greater than yours. Let's take a listen to what she said and sure. have you comment on the backside. We agree philosophically. Let's get to the table and, and debate these things out and get something settled. And I'm just being honest, we're not seeing that same sense of urgency from the partners at CTU. Kids are out of school now. It's time to come to the table and give us a realistic proposal, not the 2.5 billion dollar proposal that's on the table. We can't afford that here in Chicago. And let me just add to that. One of the narratives has been CTU was hell bent on striking from the beginning and that you all are dug in. 94% of the rank and file said yes to this strike and there is no hurry to get a deal done. What would you say to her comments? Well, I would say that you don't get 30,000 educators on the streets of Chicago in mass because we are hell bent on taking a strike. You get them because they want nurses, social workers and smaller class sizes. You get them because they want want their school communities to be transformed. Further, look, we have a 40-person bargaining team. The people bargaining this contract are the people who will be implementing the contract in the school communities. So you have elementary school teachers there. You have early childhood educators in the room actually going over line by line the contract. We want to get this right. Chicago has a tremendous opportunity to get it right. We're not arguing over whether we should be just and equitable. We're arguing over how we provide justice and equity in the school right now. Well, I got to tell you, I was really disappointed with uh, Janice Jackson's comments. We can't afford that. Now, listen, I know it, I, I realize it's a union negotiation. I realize that the teachers come in high and they're going to have to settle for something less than they're asking. That's how negotiations go. But to hear the CEO, the, the chief executive officer of the Chicago Public Schools saying we can't afford to hire the nurses and social workers and counselors after she was silent, silent uh, when $1.3 billion went out for Lincoln Yards, when $1.1 billion went out uh, for the 78, when all that money was put on the table for Amazon, silence in the face of this money, which is coming out of the public schools, diverted from the public schools through the TIF program, silence from the Board of Education on that. But when it comes to demands that we hire nurses for the classrooms, suddenly we can't afford that. There's something wrong with our priorities here in the city of Chicago, particularly with our leaders. I would like to hear the leaders of our public schools saying, we can't afford to spend money on Lincoln Yards, uh, developing a, a community and a gentrification neighborhood, but we can't afford nurses. Instead, I hear them say we can't afford nurses, but silence on Lincoln Yards. Explain to me, though, if you want that contract, why wouldn't you get a five-year deal? I mean, if they offered me a five-year deal here at the station, I'd take it over a three-year deal. <laughs> oh, brother. <laughs> You know, I mean, it seems to me, yeah. and a lot of people are of the opinion, mm -hmm. in fact, I was talking to people last night and they were saying to me, this is definitely political because they're trying to time it so that they're going to be able to protest again. Why not grab the five-year deal when they want to give it to you? Look, can I be honest with you? Please. We don't want the mayor to be in control of our schools so politics can come directly out. The most substantive discussions that we have at the table are with the educators at the table, on both sides of the table. We would implore the mayor to use this as an opportunity 
opportunity to make sure that we get an elected school board in the city of Chicago where all of the stakeholders have a voice. Look, I am so sick of going back and forth in sound bites. I am so sick of the back and forth of polling, the back and forth of popularity. I want a nurse in a school building five days a week for students with asthma and diabetes so school clerks don't have to administer medicine. Are you confident that a week from today you'll be back in the classroom? I am working very hard on that, but I'm also saying this to you. We've been working very hard on this for the last 10 years as well. We've been at the table for 10 months, and we are glad that the mayor of Chicago and the CEO finally have a sense of urgency. All right, let's uh, let's iron this deal out maybe over the weekend. Uh, uh, and then uh, Stacey Davis Gates can go back to being uh, what? Uh, a guest on the Ben Jarofsky show, <laughs> yeah. among other things. And uh, Fox TV can go back to doing whatever they do as well. Well, you say a guest on the Ben Jarofsky show, but she will be a guest November 5th, uh, first Tuesday. What a hideout. Isn't that right, Ben? Tell them all about it. What a transition that was. Did teamwork. you go to radio school? <laughs> teamwork, baby, teamwork. Uh, Romana Hussein is in the studio. And one more time, uh, just seeing Romana remind everybody that my dear friend Mick Dumkey uh, has moved on. He's no longer going to be my partner in crime uh, at the hideout. But the show goes on. Amaya will be my uh, co-host. And our first show uh, will be November 5th. And yes, indeed, Stacey Davis Gates will be our guest. And I hope... Uh, Romana, I really hope the strike will be over by then, and we'll be talking about how uh, everybody came together for the better interests of taxpayers and students and teachers, et cetera, and so forth. But Stacey Davis-Gates at the hideout, November 5th, 630, 1354 West Wabansia. So there you are. That's what's going on locally now. And uh, podcast fans, the Sun-Times political web series, The Franz Spielman Show, is now available as a podcast, yes, she's our studio roommate. The Fran Spielman Show features weekly interviews with the lawmakers, journalists, and others who are shaping our city. Fran holds nothing back. She really doesn't. That in a press conference you know, with Lori after, the other yeah, day. She oh, man. Lori she holds nothing back. She goes deep into City Hall to bring you the real scoop on Chicago politics. And now you can listen to her show on all of your favorite podcast apps. Head to City Hall with Fran and get even more great political coverage from the Chicago Sun-Times. Listen and subscribe now at suntimes.com forward slash Fran show. That's suntimes.com forward slash Fran dash show. Are you forgetting what you said two minutes ago? Being Are you forgetting already what you said just two minutes ago? I mean, I can't believe that you said two minutes ago that they had to buy in, and now you're saying they don't have to buy. You're forgetting that. I said anyone I mean, like look, your grandmother who look, has no money, need she a would, healthcare system you're automatically, automatically enrolls people, regardless of whether they choose to opt in or not. If you lose your job, for instance, his. His health care plan would not automatically enroll you. You would have to opt in. My health care plan would. That's a big difference. I'm full. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. Arts and entertainment. Weekly concert listings. Weekly event listings. The environment. Travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader. Free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Commercial break over. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. 
Live from the Chicago Sun-Times. It's Friday. That means the Romano Rundown. Romana Hussein, editor for the Chicago Sun-Times, comes in every Friday, gives us uh, her thoughts on the world as it is. Welcome back, Romana. Hi, thanks for having me. All right, every Friday we, every Friday, uh, and uh, my favorite uh, part of the day. I'm God bless you. I hope it is. I know it's a break. It's oh, got to be guess. a break from. Well, you don't have to say it like, well, everything else is so bad. So, uh, but uh, it's definitely one of my favorite parts of the day. All right, uh, the strike is on, and the mayor's political honeymoon is over. Uh, Dennis alluded to this. Fran Spielman, uh, who shares this lovely little studio with us now. Yeah, have reminder. you guys crossed paths yet? No, because she's I. Uh, Fran is uh, an early to bed, early to rise type yes, of person. She's getting very, that worm, very regimented. I I met her first when I was at City News. She was the first one in the office at nine a.m. sharp. She was out of the office by five p.m. sharp, and she was she had more stories than anybody else. And everybody's struggling to get their one story in for the day. Fran so Spielman a is a force of nature. And that's, uh, maybe one day you guys will meet one day. I'll be, well, yeah, one day I may get up early. Uh, but, uh, anyway, a very good uh, story. Uh, analysis they call it uh, it's more like a column but it was very good about uh, Lori Lightfoot uh, and the pressure she's facing as we head uh, to, we're in day two of the teacher strike Lori has swept the office with like 75 percent of the vote a triumphant victory uh, she was riding high and now bam you know she's getting it from all sides she got lefties like me upset at her because we want more nurses hired you got the Tribune uh, bashing her for even thinking about hiring more nurses uh so uh, you edited the story yeah uh, it was an analysis is what we call those mm-hmm. types of stories where fran is kind of analyzing the situation um one of my colleagues said oh fran is going pretty hard on the, i i don't know it's i think fran is just basically just showing that not everyone is excited about Lori lightfoot within the first couple months of her being in office and, and the ctu to be fair i mean to lightfoot the ctu wasn't even endorsing Lori lightfoot they were tony preckwinkles they like tony preckwinkle most they endorsed tony preckwinkle there was one they were one of the largest supporters so a lot of people um have kind of said that this is what they were gonna do anyway that's just the thinking that a lot of people theory a lot of people have um, I know Janice Jackson was Fran Spielman's guest last week, the first uh, guest in this in the studio for Fran, and I think she mentioned that they would have done something similar. She mentioned Janice Jackson, the CEO of the Chicago Public Schools, mentioned that they she thinks they would have done something similar to Preckwinkle, but who knows? Because Preckwinkle's not mayor. But uh, Fran just basically said that you know the honeymoon's over mm-hmm. for Lori Lightfoot, and she just talked about how you know the teachers very angry obviously and then she talked about how Lori Lightfoot kind of um she went not kind of but she went to a community center yesterday and read a book to the kids it was called a bad case of the stripes Mm -hmm. and she told the kids that the lesson of the story the book was about this girl who likes lima beans and she um didn't want to admit that she liked lima beans because of peer pressure because most kids probably don't like lima beans i kind of like lima beans but that's neither here nor there (laughs) i didn't like vegetables growing up um, Do you like I, them now? No. Wow. Okay. Confession <laughs> time on the Ben Jarofsky show. I, I get forced to eat them by someone in my household. Ah, I wonder who that could be. <laughs> but uh, continue. Um, anyway, uh, anyway, she basically said that the moral of the story, as she's telling the kids, is do what you think is right. And don't worry about whether people like you or not. Mm. So she's probably talking about herself. And, uh, and then I, I, I think she basically... 
I think there was some like there was just she talked a little bit about she talked to reporters afterwards and she thought that you know the CTU was bent on going after her I think she kind of hinted at that and she mentioned that she is getting support from people yeah she gets um and I don't know if you read the latest we have a running blog in I don't yesterday when I was driving I saw at least four groups of teachers when I was driving from home to Rogers Park mm-hmm. to the office here in the West Loop I saw like four ban- you know big groups of teachers you know mm-hmm. banded outside and talking to people and there's more teachers today I saw uh, to at least two or three groups today you know on the overhead um, passes mm-hmm. um, on the uh, highway I saw like at least two coming into work and there was a group that was outside Lori Lightfoot's home and they had said that um, you know she had a note that said with donuts the Lori Lightfoot put out and said I hear you and I'm trying to work things out so, so I know she said I hear you for sure and then I think I think they responded like we don't want donuts we want like nurses or something like that like they they all had they were tweeting pictures of what the Lori Lightfoot's note so they're outside her house too and she's giving them donuts although a friend of mine who works in the CPS administration <laughs> yeah. I asked her I was talking to her about the strike and I'm like I don't know a lot of people think it's a pretty good deal and you know she were going back and forth and I was trying to listen to her and she told me I asked her I'm like if she was going to be picketing and she goes well you know she's so she told me sometimes administration where she, whatever she does, she works on curriculum. Sometimes uh-huh. they're included in the union and sometimes they're not. She said it's it's really weird to describing it. But she told me that she works with eight different schools. So she said she passed out donuts and coffee yesterday wow. too to eight different schools. And she goes, and then at 10 o'clock, she's like, yeah, I'm done. I'm yeah. the GTFO. You know what that means. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I just figured it out. But uh, anyway, so she, she's like, yeah, I did my job, but it's, a, it was just kind of funny. A great day so to be donuts, a teacher. You get yeah, donuts. I told, her, I told her, why don't you drop off donuts to me while you're at it? Yeah, uh, no donuts for the editor. Let me just read uh, one part of the story before we move on. Sure. Uh, and uh, Romana alluded to this, my favorite part of the story. Uh, as some of the young children fidgeted or oh, yawned yawn. while others listened intently, Mayor Lightfoot read aloud a book she loved to read to her own daughter, A Bad Case of the Stripes. Quote, so the moral of the story is be true to yourself. Do what you want. Don't worry about whether or not people like you, the mayor told the kids. And then here's uh, Fran. Lightfoot can only hope that the moral of David Shannon's story about a girl who loves lima beans but never eats them because of peer pressure applies to the crisis she now confronts. Good job, Fran Spillman. Uh, yes, indeed. Uh, Lori can only hope that. All right, let's move on away from the teacher strike and Lori Lightfoot. We've been talking about that a lot lately. Uh, a big, big story in both papers today. Uh, Robert Riamo, mm-hmm. uh, the former Chicago police officer, was fired by the, the Chicago yeah. Police Board. Talk about that. We actually that. had a story in today's paper, and then we had a story the day before, just basically predicting that this was going to happen. This is Robert Rialmo. He is the officer that shot Quintonio LeGreer and Betty Jones. Quintonio LeGreer was a young man whose father had called the police on on him because he had a bat and was attacking the dad or there was some sort of fight going on domestic incident. This happened in December 2015, right after the Laquan McDonald tape came out. I remember, I still remember when this happened. I was like, oh my God, I was on the desk. And uh, so he ended up shooting um, Quintonio LeGreer, 19 year old uh, man. And he ended up shooting Betty Jones, who was the neighbor. She was the one that opened the door for the officers and directed them upstairs. And there's varying opinions about what exactly happened. LeGreer's um, family or his estate says that um, Rialmo just, you know, he was retreating and then that's when he got shot. And Rialmo, Officer Rialmo said that he had actually 
Quintonio Liguria had swung the bat at him. So this, you know, this has been on the police board's agenda for a long time. And originally, Eddie Johnson said that it was justified. There was a Cook County jur- jury that said that had ruled the sh- shooting justified as well. So the family, orig- uh, Liguria's family originally got $1 million, but then I think it was rescinded from mm-hmm. what I understand because of the ruling by the Cook County jury. And Betty um, Jones's family got $16 million in a settlement with the city. So, and then, you know, I, I'm sure some people have heard that Robert Rialmo got into two bar fights after this incident. Mm-hmm that we know that we know of and so yesterday there was a seven to zero vote two people had recused themselves um from the chicago police board for him to be fired from the chicago police department yeah and uh the issue is i suppose uh, that uh, his behavior may not uh be criminally uh liable he may not be uh forced to go to jail you know he may not have broken the law uh but it's not behavior uh, that you would want from a police officer. And so they're going to strip him of his, his position, police powers, his, yeah. his police powers, his gun, his yeah. badge, uh, et cetera. And the, the, the articles in both the papers, uh, both the Tribune and the Sun-Times, make it clear that it, it's a classic case like this, uh, Romana. There's just, it seems as though uh, stories change. You know, Riamo's story changed mm-hmm. for the first time he told it to where he's told it now. The witnesses have different points of view. Uh, Eddie Johnson dismissed the wit- one witness. This was interesting. One witness who said that uh, uh, Joe uh, uh, did not swing the bat at, um, at Rialmo. Uh, Legreer did not swing, swing the bat at Rialmo. And uh, Eddie Johnson dismissed it, saying, well, he was smoking marijuana uh, at the time. So he just dismissed his uh testimony completely mm-hmm. uh so when you get into a matter like this it's just like the fog of war almost yeah. you don't quite know what to believe yeah of course and then you know we I, you know i you know i wasn't there but you look at something like the laquan mcdonald situation where police were saying one thing and that he was lunging towards them with a knife mm-hmm. and he really wasn't so you know everybody has their accounts of what happened or what didn't happen and no one's saying that you know he um, Quintonio Legreer, obviously, the it was a domestic incident. He did have a bat, but what he did with a bat—that's the question. And there's just varying opinions. Um, a lot of people had said that he just should have had a, ta- you know, Robert. We almost should have had a taser. Like, why use deadly force in this situation? And I, that's what I think the police board was saying—that he didn't have to go to that measure to, you know, shoot. And, you know, I, I, I've talked to officers before. They're trained to shoot to kill. I always thought, why can't you just shoot them in the leg if you find someone a threat? But they said they're trained to shoot to kill. Yeah. Which I find odd. But that's, you know, I'm not part of the law enforcement. Well, I've never shot years. a gun, but I just saw a, a really dumb movie last week. Not to trivialize this, but a really dumb movie, uh, J-Lo. I, having seen uh, Hustlers, I was I went back into time, started watching old J-Lo movies. I'm a little embarrassed to admit this. Oh, and, I loved her rom-com movies. Well, this was... Even though they're cheesy. I the think one, this was kind of out of sight wedding. with George Clooney. Oh, yeah. That was supposed to be a good movie. Though. Yeah, it was, it was okay. But anyway, the point is, at the very end, uh, she had to shoot George Clooney to, to stop him from doing something. So from across a room, she just one shot, hit him in the leg, just like you're saying. He went down, but it was like a flesh wound. You know what I'm yeah. saying? It was just like it's, it was enough to stop him without seriously hurting him. And then, you know, like in the next scene, he's totally healthy and hail. <laughs> so I just think that uh, it's easy. It's obviously 
what that officer was facing at that moment and that uh, what was going on in his head, what he saw, what he, what literally happened. It was just a mixture of things. Yeah. And the notion, yeah, I just don't know if anybody could just shoot somebody in the leg. Like, you know what I'm saying yeah. at that moment? Yeah, um, it's, it's, it's a high stakes situation, you know, um, I, I, I don't know what happened. That's a thing. Like if he didn't do anything, you know, it's just like, how did this escalate from point A to point Z? It's, it's, it's definitely something that, you know, people are talking about. And I, I didn't follow the case from day one. I mean, I followed the case when it was in front of a jury, but the jury came up and said, this was justified. Well, there's, so I don't know, you know, it's, it's. Listen, it in, uh, in in the city of Chicago, really any city, I suppose, um, there's a tremendous amount of leeway given to police officers yes. who are somebody's charging at them with a bat. Yeah, uh, and, and nobody's gonna... saying nobody's saying that police officers don't have a hard job. They probably do have people. They have people that shoot at them. Mm-hmm. But this wasn't a gun. And some people are just saying, why didn't he tase him? Yeah. He should have had a taser. He should have taken a taser. And then you know, there's questions of his temperament if he's getting into bar fights. You know, people think a lot of officers are very trigger happy, too. So, well, there was a column in the uh, Sun Times yesterday took the extreme point of view that nobody should want to nobody would want to be a police officer anymore uh, because police officers are facing criminal prosecution for matters like this. And they're alluding to the case in Texas where a police officer shot a a woman. Uh, She was in her house uh, with her kid and they were investigating a a complaint from a neighbor. There's some parallels uh, Mm -hmm. to the shooting. And uh, I have a hard time buying, I had a hard time buying the argument that the gentleman wrote uh, in the Sun-Times. First of all, I know a lot of people who want to be police officers still. Oh, yeah. Uh, and uh, There's a I, lot of people who are police officers and families, like generations, and something that they do. Not everybody. I'm yeah. not saying that that's just the way. But there are families like that. Uh, anyway, uh, so it, it is a tough job. I realize that, but I don't know, just yeah, shooting somebody and they're sitting in their house, uh, no. is an extreme. No, I agree. And I don't know if you saw, but Jason Van Dyke also resigned from the Chicago police department this week. I did not see that. Yeah, we I did, did, a, we did okay. a short story on that um, since we we're talking about the Laquan McDonald case. All right, let's move on. Speaking of which, Eddie Johnson, uh, any updates on his condition? No, I, I haven't heard anything, but um, if I, if everybody read the news yesterday or followed the news today, um, Eddie Johnson was found slumped over um, early morning on Thursday, 12, well, 12, 10. Police like, right chief Eddie Johnson. Yeah, yeah. Uh, slumped over in his car. Mm-hmm. And as everyone knows, he's had kidney problems. He um, had to, he actually had an operation and took one of his sons, had his, a kidney transplant using his son's kidney. Um, anyway, he was found slumped over. They said there was no signs of an intoxication. And I, I thought this was a joke when he's, he's asked the internal affairs to um, investigate his case. I thought that was a joke when I first saw it. I was like, wait, I think that's a mistake we have in our story that he wanted his own case to be investigated. But he's saying that, you know, people can investigate me to see because he let his driver go. He had a late night dinner. And so he was coming back home. I don't know. The interesting thing in that oh, is like, he is this his home in Bridgeport. I was like, he lives in Bridgeport. And then like five minutes later, somebody said the same three other editors said he, well, he lives in Bridgeport. Cause everybody has that stereotype of Bridgeport where there's nobody black lives yeah. in Bridgeport. Uh, well, like that, that stereotype's a little dated, but uh, I know I, I yeah. still believe that. I know. I, I know. Scared. It's really hard for old timers. I was like scared. Me. Yeah. I was scared to go to Bridgeport. The first time a friend of mine told me she lived there. She goes, do you live in Bridgeport? She goes, you'll be fine. She goes, you don't have to worry about anything. You're not that you're not the minority they don't like here. <laughs> I was like, that's what my friend told me. How many years ago was this? This was like uh, early 2000s. I had a friend who was an Italian American 
we worked at city news together and she moved to Bridgeport. And I, I still had that, I still had that stereotype where I thought Bridgeport was really scary because that, uh, maybe like when I started my job, it was that, um, incident, Leonard Clark. Clark? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That happened. Yeah. Like, well, the, he was so, beat up. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, that was my stereotype. I grew up thinking people who like the white Sox were automatically racist. Yeah. So, okay. You got a so, lot of issues there with the white Sox. Still like the Cubs. I I still, don't and then, and then I realized all my <laughs> friends who were Jewish at Niles West are like, Oh, we're all Sox fans. I go, not all of them, but a few of them. One of my, one of our class vice, our class vice president, who's now a judge was telling me she was a white Sox fan. I'm like, you like the white Sox? I thought we all like the Cubs. And she goes, well, my, my grandparents used to live in that area. And that's some people like them both. Although I'm really having a very difficult time liking the Cubs these days. That's yeah. a whole other issue. Yeah. Not just well, our, we know, we know their owners. It's very are, hard. Yeah. Very di- Make it very difficult. And they fired Joe Madden, which I think was so unfair. I have a funny story about that because a friend of mine whose husband was like, I'm going to boycott the Cubs. You know, I love my family more because he's, he's Muslim. And there, this is a friend I went to grew up with since second grade. She just texted me earlier and she goes, Oh my God, we got a call from the Cubs. We might be able to get season tickets. And I'm like, wait, I thought your husband was <laughs> that boycott didn't last long. And then she was all excited. And I go, wait, your husband just told me was so like he had face. He was so angry about it, but they're fans. So like now they're like all excited. So I said, well, maybe Muslims will take over. And will this be Muslims at Wrigley Field? Muslims, Muslims yeah. yeah, but since Joe Matt, it would just be Muslims at uh, Wrigley Field. Yeah, I was and joking. All the, and Jewish people will be all White Sox Park. <laughs> uh, all right, now, you, I promised at the start of the show that you were going to put on your editor's hat oh. and edit uh, President know, Trump's my... letter that Yeah, the letter to the Turkish um, leader. Yes, uh, his, excel- just... his excellency. Uh, let me, dear Mr. President, this letter was written October 9th, uh, 2019, Donald Trump. I think this was a case, obviously, where Donald Donald Trump did something wrong. He was in trouble. So he wrote this letter to sort of like backdate it, make it seem like he didn't do what everybody thought, like he was being forceful with the president as opposed to allowing uh, the tur- uh, Turkey just to take control of northeastern Syria. But here's what he wrote and get your thoughts as an editor. We'll start with the first paragraph. Let's work out a good deal <laughs> with exclamation, <laughs> exclamation point. You don't want to be responsible f- for slaughtering thousands of people. And I don't want to be responsible for destroying the Turkish economy. And I will. The threat. It's, yeah. it's always great to start your letter to another leader by threatening them yeah. and just saying, hey, let's do this. With the exclamation mark. Yeah. I don't know if I'd, if I was going to write a letter to another leader, I would not use an exclamation mark. Uh, what about exclamation marks in general as an editor? What's your attitude about I do about not it? think that we need exclamation marks. I've told some reporters, um, some who are my friends, like, well, and then I'm like, you don't use exclamation marks. Why? I've told what's, interns. What's your attitude I just about? don't think, unless someone's like really screaming, do you really need exclamation mark? Like if somebody's yelling, yes, you need exclamation mark. But when someone says like a sentence, do you use exclamation mark? No, that's not how you talk. So that's how I try to explain to people. Like even because sometimes I've seen some re- reporters, obviously veteran reporters don't do that. These are usually people who aren't used to print or uh, I've seen it with a lot of interns and it's just like, it's such a boring sentence. They add an exclamation yeah. point and I'm like, there's no way someone was that enthusiastic. So, you know, if somebody's screaming help and you want to emphasize that, then yeah, of course, mm-hmm. or an expletive where somebody's just screaming expletive and it's really passionate. Yeah. If there's no passion there, I don't think you need... An yeah. exclamation mark. I uh, guess Donald Trump does talk in exclamation uh, he, marks. Yeah, and uh, also he's used to uh, Twitter. I, I never use, or I should not say never, I very rarely use an exclamation mark uh, in a uh, article I'm writing or a column I'm writing. But I discovered that when I do a, 
uh, when I'm texting somebody. Do you use that sometimes? I, I don't know. Some reason I, I put do. A, sometimes I say, hey. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. So that's something else. It's like you're texting. All right, here we go. I've worked hard to solve some of your problems going on with the letters. The second Bragging paragraph. about himself. Yes, Brian. <laughs> That's true. I've worked hard yeah. uh, to, so- to solve I, some of your problems. Yeah, yes. Okay. Don't let the world down. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Don't let the world down. It's like he has all the world on his shoulder. But I mean, the, the funny thing is, I mean, it's not funny. It's not funny Donald at all. Trump I thought this was a was, joke when yeah, I saw this letter. Pulled the letter. Told him he was pulling the soldiers so that Turkey could invade this area. Now he's saying, don't let the world down. You're the one to let the world yeah, down. Yeah, and the thing is, it's a very serious subject. It's like so flip. That's how I feel with the letter. And it's just. You can make a great deal. You. every. It's just like his show. You're fired or whatever that show was, yeah. you know. That is correct. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, kidding. you, it's up to you. It's correct. Uh, thank you, Robert Mueller. Um, uh, uh, General Maslam is willing to negotiate with you and he is willing to make, I'm trying to read this, concessions that they would never have made in the past. Wow. Uh, it's, I, so, it's so like, there's like no detail. You know, it's, it's like, I feel like this is a third grader writing this. Well, do you think that's effective form of communication? Now, think about this because this is something. This I heard is very that they, I heard Trump. they threw it into the gar. I heard when it got to Turkey, they threw it in the garbage. Like nobody even read it. That's what I heard. I was reading Al Jazeera, and that's what they said. I see. Uh, well, it must be true. Uh, and uh, uh, <laughs> but uh, I, my guess, this letter was not written so much for uh, the president. Oh, of you Turkey. think it was written for the American public for to show Fox TV? You know, like this is how I talk. Well, like someone on Twitter said, it he was trying to make himself sound tough, so Fox. But it just people just laughed at the letter, right? And yeah. The, I, so yeah, go ahead. Sorry. All right, here's my here's the yeah. grand conclusion. History will look upon you favorably if you get this done the right and humane way. Donald Trump talking about humane. It will. Okay, it's hard for me to read this. Uh, it will. Oh, there we go. It will look upon you forever as the devil if good <laughs> things don't happen. Don't be a tough guy. Don't be a fool. Don't be a fool. Talk to you I, later. I will call you later. Yeah. <laughs> it's freaking lunacy. TTYL. Come on, Ramana. That's crazy. That's what people said. They're gonna. I saw a lot of people on Twitter said that's how they're gonna sign the their letters from now on. I just, I can't believe. I can't believe this is this is a leader of our country, and I'm saying this as a reporter. I'm I'm taking off my objectivity hat. I just can't believe that this is the way. Our leaders talking. Well, I don't know. I just, you know, we always laugh at other countries. I mean, does I, anybody even like I, now I'm we gonna, can't we can't even laugh at anybody else. Th- this is one of my favorite conversations. I'm going to put on my objectivity hat, and I, uh, um, your husband and my dear friend McDumkey would always discuss this. Can you objectively say that Donald Trump is out of his mind? When I look at this letter. I'm like, just be objective, no. America. He's, he's I mean, a he lunatic. Is that yeah, he's not normal. <laughs> this, yeah, right. He's, <laughs> he's not, not normal. normal. That's what I meant, no. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's just, I mean, and I think as a journalist, I think you have to be critical. You have to be critical of the president, whoever it is. And to sit there and be ob- objective about this or say that this is very normal. Yeah. I mean, I don't think you can do that yeah. at this point. The false equivalency doesn't apply. You know, it's it applies here. You can't say that, you know, this guy's sane or, you know, everything that he's proposing makes sense. 
you have to dissect it and show it to the world. As and then it is. compare it to what the protocol was under every other president, whether you have supported their uh, proposals or programs, what have you. I was opponent of many of the presidents that preceded this one, but their behavior, just, just the behavior uh, is, is uh, just insane. That's about all I can say. I don't know. I, mean, I, have, I have some younger nephews and nieces everybody's coming in early i love it i have nephews and nieces who are 10 11 and two twins that are like seven i think they can write better than that that's Uh, just my all right if i put them to i have david ferris on deck to bring him on uh alderman jeanette taylor's everybody's coming early i love it on when they come my guests come early on the ben drafts show before i let you go your recommendations for the weekend i do want to see that movie parasite it's a korean movie from what i understand it and it's about uh class I think it, it, it dissects like, uh, dissects like, I, I think there's two families, one that's upper class and one that's lower class and the families somehow converge together. Mm-hmm. Cause I think some of the kids go to live in the rich family's house to take care of kids, I think, or to do some housework. But I heard it's very good. I've, and I've seen some reviews that said, don't read too much about it. Just go in and watch it. Yes. And I do want to see the Pedro Almodovar movie. What is it called again? Something Pain glory. glory. Pain and Glory. Yeah. Um, Two thumbs way up for that. Yes. I, I usually weekend. like his films. I think he does a good job, but I th- think this one's a little autobiographical. Yes, it is. Um, so I do want to see that. And I do, I'm interested in the Paul Rudd Netflix series. I forgot what it's called, where he's a he clone. He gets a clone of himself. Who's a better version of himself. He's kind of like stuck in life. And so then he gets this clone made of himself and it's just kind of, He's more excited about life than he is and work. And so I, I've heard, I, so far I've seen mostly good reviews, but I, I haven't read too much about it. So that might be something I'm going to watch. Well, I'm definitely going to see What about Paris. your Parasite, uh, I will be at Parasite tomorrow. It looks like a great flick. Uh, it's scary and funny. And uh, I have not read any of the reviews because I do not want, they always tell you what happens. They're like, well, I saw it. Well, who cares about you? You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, thanks for no, nothing. No, usually, you know, usually if you read something <laughs> online, they'll say spoilers. Yeah, but a lot of these reviewers, they just sneak stuff in. Well, did this happens, the, that happens. Did you watch the Breaking Bad movie? No, ma'am. I, you know, I know you don't care. I'm not. But really, anyway, it was very popular. I think yeah. a lot of people saw it on Netflix. And one of the things they noticed, because they made this six years later, everybody aged. So oh. they said, you know, it's supposed to be a flashback. So they're like, well, okay, yeah, I don't no, know if that's a, a flashback. And one guy, he like gained weight. So everybody was just like. They call he looks a little like Matt Matt Damon. He's like a poor man, so they call him Meth Damon. That's the actor's <laughs> name. He's he's married to Kirsten Dunst, by the way. But oh yeah, I know that actor. That actor, yeah, he's really I, good. He was in Fargo. Yeah, big I, feller. He played yeah, the butcher. I, I kind yeah. of felt bad for him because everybody's talking about how heavy he looks. He got. Heavy, yeah. Matt Damon's not looking that slender <laughs> these days. Anyway, I'm just throwing that out there. Jeanette Taylor's not in her head. Yeah, she agrees with me. Anyway, uh, thanks. Anyway, uh, I just threw that on Jeanette. She doesn't agree with me on that. All right, uh, Ramana Hussein, thank you so much. Appreciate everything you do for our. show. Show every Friday, Romano Hussein. It's a Romano rundown. Thank you very much. Thanks. We got David Ferris on deck. We're going to bring him on when we return. It's Chicagoland's adult entertainment playground. It's the world famous Admiral Theater, 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. The Admiral is homegrown from Chicago, and it's the most conveniently located club in all of the city. 15 minutes from the O'Hare Airport in downtown Chicago Loop. Voted Chicago's best strip club, the Admiral has showgirls galore and a variety of adult entertainment shows. The world famous Admiral Theater, open every day from 7 p.m. to 6 a.m., 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. For events, showtime, and other information, visit AdmiralX.com. Must be 18 years of age or older to enter.
know it sounds infuriating because at least we get to have the truth, right? At least we should have the truth. One of the things that undergirds this process is integrity. And to say that you have offered a proposal that respects what we are asking for, to say that you've bent over backwards and it's the same proposal, not even less than what's in there now, it's absolutely ridiculous. The mayor says that the school district is still digging itself out of a fiscal hole. I mean, are you guys recognizing that the district still has financial problems? Let's talk about money. Let's talk about money. Let's talk about the billion dollars of extra revenue that they're getting from the state of Illinois. Let's talk about that. Because that billion dollars is supposed to lower class size. That billion dollars is supposed to provide bilingual education supports. That billion dollars is supposed to provide us with nurses and social workers and counselors. That's what it's supposed to do. And it's awfully interesting to me that every time it comes to giving our students what they need in the Chicago Public Schools, which is a school district of 90% students of color, which is a school district that serves low-income students, that we talk about money. We don't talk about money when we build playgrounds for the wealthy in Lincoln Park, which is one of the richest neighborhoods in the entire world. Billions of dollars. Look around us right now. Count how many buildings down here were built with taxpayer money. That's right. Count them. And then we're here begging and pleading. You saw our counselor last night crying for resources for our students. And we are in one of the richest cities, in one of the richest countries in the whole world, where taxpayers have subsidized the development of skyscrapers but cannot give black children on the south side a lower class size. Next question. Speaking of percentages, what percentages? Speaking of percentages, what percentages of affordable housing aren't in a city ordinance right now? Speaking of percentages, how many black people still live in this city and, and can't live here reasonably because the city tore down all of the affordable housing and the mayor said that one of the pillars of her administration would be to deal with poverty, would to be uh, to deal with equity, to make sure that people had an affordable place to live. This isn't about today. Contracts represent a vision of the future, um, it, it represents where we're going, not where we are currently. And so if we're going to build a city that responds to equity, that responds to justice, that responds to all of what she promised us, then this contract, as we have presented it to them for the last 10 months, we should not be talking about a strike. We should be talking about a settlement. We should be having a celebratory press conference and moving the city forward. It sounds like you're trying to dictate some public policy. I'm a taxpayer. I'm a mother. I am invested in Chicago. Voters in this city call shots. Taxpayers in this city call shots. They call shots for these buildings down here. They call shots for that wealthy playground in Lincoln Park. We get to call shots for our public schools. You're absolutely right. This is not an autocracy. This is a democracy. Holy crap, Stacey Davis Gates is cool. Hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show for Friday, October 18th is moments away. But before we get into that, we need to thank the following unions for jumping on board and sponsoring this program. First up, it's the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and of course, today's Ben Jarofsky Show was brought to you by our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Hour number two, let's go. 
It is Friday, October 18th, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. In this hour of the program, it's the return of our good friend, professor and author David Ferris, and we welcome back 20, 20th Ward Alderwoman Jeanette Taylor. And now your host, not a professor or an alderman, <laughs> Chicago Raider columnist Ben Jarofsky. We've got two powerhouses in the studio, David Ferris, a political science professor at Roosevelt University, author of the book, It's Time to Fight Dirty. It's just called armed Democrats, stop being wimps, and start playing the game the way Republicans play it. Uh, and here, bright and early, I cannot wait to bring her on, Alderwoman Jeanette Taylor, the pride and joy of the 20th Ward. She's going to tell her like it. She already told me what she's going to say, and I know a lot of listeners are eagerly waiting uh, for Jeanette uh, to come on but first david ferris welcome back david it's great to be here ben do you know what today is uh, other than friday it is the 1001st night of the trump administration wow man i hadn't been keeping track yeah wow a thousand and one nights man <laughs> it's like a bad a dream kill you are yeah ferris. really <laughs> oh thanks for stopping in uh, makes me feel uh... a thousand days of being governed by the stupidest and most hateful people in the entire uh, in the entire world i'm really enjoying it uh would you the stupidest do you think don't you think there's some kind of like uh there's got to be this like kind of like raw intelligence a basic uh, i mean he he did get elected I mean, uh, sort of, right? Like, yeah. I mean, in any sane system, he would not actually have been elected because in most societies, the people with the most votes take office and the people with fewer votes go home, yes, play golf, go to right. stupid resorts. Absolutely. Right. Right. President. Uh, as David Ferris is pointing out, uh, Donald Trump did not win the popular vote in the last election. And yet, because of the insane system we have determining who gets to be president, our electoral system, uh, he got to be president. And uh, David Ferris, this is a point he makes in his book, It's Time to Fight Dirty. Make it again one more time. Folks may not have heard it. Uh, if Republicans were in charge and they had lost two presidential elections, uh, along with it, the power to appoint Supreme Court judges and fill and uh, other judiciary vacancies, if they had lost all of that with the power to control regulations of our markets and our environment, etc., in 2000, as the Democrats did when uh, Al Gore won the popular vote but lost the electoral vote, and 2016 when Hillary Clinton, how would Republicans respond if the shoe was on the other foot? Oh, uh, so yeah, I think about 25 states would have seceded. Uh, and or uh, like every Republican on earth would have been just like camped out in Capitol Hill until uh, Hillary Clinton left office because uh, she's, you know, illegitimate for losing the popular vote. Like they would not have they would not have just been like, oh, well, you know, I, those are the rules, you know, <laughs> yeah. gotta, gotta hand the most powerful office in the world to this idiot. I'm sorry. Those are the rules of our when you when you view how Democrats play the game as opposed to Republicans play the game, have you come to any conclusions as to why Democrats are so wimpy? I don't know if I've ever asked you this direct question before all the times you've been on our show. So I'm asking you now, is there, in your humble opinion, a reason why the Democrats are so wimpy? Yeah. I mean, so I think that traditionally Democrats think of themselves as the party of good government, right? Like of the two parties, one of them believes in government and the things that it can do for our society, and the other one despises government and wants to do everything in its power to destroy it. And so when Democrats come back into power, um, one of the things that they, I think that they remain committed to is making government work the way it's supposed to work. Um, and so sort of like nonstop procedural escalation <laughs> is not necessarily anybody's idea of like what 
ideal good governance would look like. Um, and so it's been very hard. It's been like a long project to get more and more Democrats to see that they can't keep uh, committing themselves to these like sort of dead norms and, and uh, archaic practices that, that characterized the House and the Senate 30, 40 years ago, um, that they have to adjust to this new reality. And they don't they don't like it because they don't like doing these things because they're good people. Um, and they don't you know, they don't want to. Uh, you know, like trick their opponents into not showing up for a vote, for mm -hmm. instance, as they did in North Carolina over the summer. Um, so I think it's just it's it's like a it's like a tougher sell for them because they you know people go to people go to D.C. Most people go to D.C. for a reason. They want to like you know they have policy ideas. They want to get those things enacted, um, and they don't want to think of themselves as people who are part of like a tit for tat mm -hmm. escalation of American politics. But there's a certain point at which it's like, come on, you know, like wake up, like wake up. <laughs> well, I have a different theory. I'm going to try it out on you. Because uh, I, I study Democrats as they behave on the local scene as much as I study Democrats as they behave on the national scene. And when I take a look at Democrats on the local scene in the city council with our mayor, uh, they are just when it, they don't care about not playing dirty. They don't care about if they violate the rules or the protocol. Uh, when Rom wanted that vote, it's uh, on the um, to finance the TIF deal, uh, the Hyatt Hotel, and the DePaul basketball arena. He didn't. He didn't even tell people they were voting for it. It was uh, a roll call vote, and people, the aldermen didn't even know what they were voting for. It was coming out of a, on a, a housing committee bill. They only learned like after the fact that they had just approved uh, TIF funding for a, a hotel or a basketball arena. But when I look at Democrats, the same Democrats, when they go to Washington, they don't fight the Republicans like they fight independents and uh, black people in the city of Chicago. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's oh, like they do, different yeah, rules. Sure. It's yeah. like, well, we got to play by the rule. But you never play by the rules in the city of Chicago. But when they get to the, there's something going on when they get to Washington. Yeah, I think there's actually something going on here, which is that I think traditionally Democrats in Chicago have regarded themselves as the de facto rulers of a one-party state. Um, and then, you know, up until recently, I don't think they really have ever had to fear turning power over to people that might oppose them mm -hmm. or, or strip them of their power or pass different kinds of policies. Um, that's, you know, I'm not, the, I'm not the local expert here, but it does seem like that's starting to change a little bit. Um, but I think your, your ROM Democrats have run Chicago for a couple of generations now, and, mm -hmm. and, and I think had no fear that their escalations would ever be like kind of thrown back at them. Challenge you know? them. Yeah. Uh, you've uh, wrote a very interesting column. Let's go through some of the columns uh, uh, that you wrote recently uh, for the week. Uh, one is, has to do with the Democratic candidates uh, for president and their attitudes toward impeachment. And you contrasted uh, their attitudes toward impeachment with uh, the Democrats in Congress, Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats in Congress who are moving ahead with the uh, impeachment inquiry. Talk about the this, this differences. Well, so I mean, you know, if you watch the debate on Tuesday night, the first question was about impeachment. Um, and I thought that they all kind of struck out on it. You know what I mean? So everybody was said they were in favor of it. Um, Tulsi Gabbard was like, oh, I guess so, you know. But everybody was like, yeah, we should do this. You know, we should we should do this in inquiry. And they all used these, like, this, like, same set of cliches. The president should not be above the law. Like, we can walk and chew gum at the same time. Like, is there anybody on earth that can do either of, one of those things <laughs> that can't walk and chew gum at the yeah, same time? You, know, like, you can walk or you can chew gum. You can do them both. It's yeah. the stupidest cliche. Yeah. Um, but I think what, what was absent from their, their responses, uh, you know, given they only have 75 seconds because there's like 400 of them up on stage. <laughs> um, yeah. But they didn't, say, they didn't give any details about what the president did wrong. They didn't give any details about what he actually did in Ukraine, which is he extorted them, right? 
Um, they haven't given any details about like why it's wrong. Uh, the president keeps directing business to his own resorts. Right? Like they have to get up there and they have to be able to prosecute that case. Um, because I think uh, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, you know, God, God love them, are not very good at this at all. You know, uh, Pelosi is a is a behind door strategist. I think she's very good at it. Um, I also don't think she's a great public speaker. I don't think she's great at pressing um, a sort of a narrative about this. You know, the less we say about Chuck Schumer, the better. Uh, please go away. Um, and uh, you've been consistent on that for as long as I've known you. Yeah, he's just like he's just like a he's like a dorky old dad, you yeah. know, which is fine. But like we need we need a ruthless partisan, yeah, you know? um, and not not your uh, you know not the guy making jokes at Thanksgiving dinner. So I I, I really want to hear the 2020 Democrats be able to in in sound bites and short sound bites. That's all you ever get, right? Yeah. You got to be able to say like, this is what he did. This is why it's illegal. This is why we got to take him out. Um, this is why it's corrupt, and sort of tie all of those things together um, to what I think is the biggest problem with the Trump administration, which is that there's a bunch of like gangster oligarchs like running loose in Washington D.C. from the guy that promised to drain the swamp, um, and instead of swamp draining, what we got is just like a sort of unprecedented um, expansion of of corruption in Washington D.C. and it's now fanning out into all the states and. Um, it's not working for ordinary people. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is classic David Ferris. You're hearing this. Let's just break down your analysis for a moment. Um, put it in the context of what's going on in uh, Washington. Again, the name of his book is It's Time to Fight Dirty. Democrats should sort of emulate Republicans and how they play the game because it's a game. It's a political fight. Uh, and there's another side that wants to win something. Now, uh, the Democrats, you're saying they should be more uh, ruthless partisans uh, in this uh, in impeachment inquiry. Uh, and then Yet the Democrats are bending over backwards, David, to be as fair as they possibly can be, uh, to look as fair as Adam Schiff, who is who is uh, the the congressman from uh, from California who's overseeing the impeachment inquiry, uh, is saying we're playing by all the rules. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we we haven't reached a conclusion. Be <laughs> Yeah. Uh, before we hang them, uh, and uh, et cetera and so forth. And meanwhile, and the Republicans just come right back and they call them, they call them ruthless partisans. They say it's a coup, you know? So the Democrats are, are, are like determined to prove that they're not the things that the Republicans say they are, and yet you advocate they should just be what the Republicans say they are. Well, they should, they should fight as ruthlessly as they can under the law, right? Um, and so what makes my head explode about this um, is that they're like, well, we're, 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 we're biting by the rules of the House. And it's like, dude, you set the rules of the House, right? The House sets its own rules. That's what's in the Constitution. There, I, there's nothing in the Constitution about committees. There's nothing in the Constitution about like, anybody from the minority party has to have any seats on anything, right? None of it. Just, it doesn't say anything about impeachment. It's just like the House sets its own rules. Do whatever you want, Right. Um, and so the idea that we have to abide by a set of House rules that, you know, Mitch McConnell has changed a thousand times in the Senate uh, is, is preposterous. Um, now, I mean, you want to make sure there's an advantage to changing the rules, right? You don't want to just like change them for no particular reason. You want to change them to wrong foot your opponents. Um, and so what, what is puzzling to me in the House, I, the energy that I get from Democrats is you're like, well, we got to do this as quickly as possible. You know, we're going to impeach him over Ukraine, uh, get it done by the end of November. Uh, obviously, he'll be acquitted in the Senate, and then we can just get on with the business of talking about what we wanted to talk about before all of this happened, which I think is, a, is a, an insane strategy. Um, I think if Democrats were smart, they would drag this out for the next 11 months, you know, take a month per article of impeachment, okay, um, and then send the articles of impeachment uh, over to the Senate uh, the day before the election. Okay? What's to stop them from doing that? Um, or, What's the know, advantage of doing that? 
Well, the advantage A is that he then he can't get acquitted in the Senate, right? So if you drag it out until election day, you know, hold hearings, put all the evidence out there, um, make him twist. He's going crazy, right? Like he's <laughs> he going lost, crazy. He's lost his mind. <laughs> yeah, he's like the you know he's like the guy in Back to the Future. Where he's like, did you call me chicken? You know, like <laughs> did you call me chicken? What's that? Um, he's just he's he like has a, lost his mind. I agree with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like Biff from. He, I mean, he really is like Biff from yeah. Back to the Future because the character was based on him. Yeah. Um, anyway. Maybe not everybody's seen this movie. No, but, uh, it is, by the way, a very bizarre oh, and movie. And a very popular movie back then. It was popular, but it's a really weird movie, which we will not spend any time discussing how weird Back to the Future is, but continue with your point. Yeah, so, I mean, I you know, I, I think a lot of the strategists before the House, before Pelosi got on board with impeachment, people were like, you got to do this. Like, it'll drive him so crazy. He'll, be, he'll, he'll act like a total maniac. Now, uh, uh, you know, on one hand, he could get us all killed uh, if we drive him too crazy, right? Yeah. Um, but he's acting in ways that are so self-destructive, so sort of like transparently insane that it's, it's obviously working, right? So every minute <laughs> that impeachment goes on is another minute that he's going to be like, I want to hold the G7 at my resort, right? Like, what? You know, <laughs> like, okay, well, I, I've got another article of impeachment. That's yeah. great. Good job. Yeah. Ahead. You know what I mean? So I don't understand. I don't understand the rush to wrap this up. You know, I think that this is a, a public relations coup for the Democrats. You got 52, 53, 54 percent of Americans back the impeachment inquiry. I don't think that's going to change. The more people learn about what happened here and the more these idiots ad admitted in public. Mick Mulvaney, the chief of staff, went out in front of the cameras yesterday and was like, yeah, we did it. Did it, did it all the time. You know, it's like one of those, you know, it's like the law, like a law and order episode <laughs> yeah. where they, they get, you know, they get crooked and sideways and they're like, did you do it? Yeah. And like, I did it. Gong, gong. Right. Yeah. So I, you know, why, why wrap this all up early? Just could drag it out. They yeah. can twist in the wind, you know, stab them a little bit, leave it in there. And and to your point, there's no shortage. I don't mean that literally. Evidence, yeah, he's, yeah, he's speaking figuratively, ladies and gentlemen. The, the uh, uh, there's no shortage of evidence of Donald Trump wrongdoing. It's it's like every day there's another revelation of Donald Trump doing something that is completely beyond the norm. Just for the moment, let's just talk about that. He invited the world leaders to come to his resort, mm -hmm. uh, to stay at his resort. So it'll be money in his pocket. Yep. Uh, and, and here we are in Illinois. Like, we try to play by these rules in Illinois. We, we're a very corrupt state, very corrupt city, uh, David Ferris. But there's always ongoing investigations. And people are always shocked and outraged by, you know, like, what, some guy taking money for this, that, or the other thing. And, you know, getting a piece of, uh, like, a red light camera deal or something. We're, but here's the president of the United States just openly, yeah, you come stay at my resort. I'll make money off the deal. I mean, his slogan for next year should just be pay to play, right? I mean, that's what it is. Yeah. That used to be an insult in politics, right? Another pay to play politician. Now it's just like, that's what the president is. He doesn't even try to hide it. And yet it's crazy. Let's get to this. His base remains loyal. Mm -hmm. I've been talking a lot about the, uh, the New York times, uh, podcast where they followed a congresswoman to southern michigan she came i don't know if you saw that slotkin is her name she's a centrist she won in a district that went for trump uh, she's a, a rookie and she came to face uh the her, her uh, constituents at a series of town hall meetings right right after she had come out in favor of impeachment inquiry and she came face to face with some trumpsters who who accused her of engineering a coup against the president and saw, said they saw no evidence that he'd ever done anything wrong and that the Democrats were just trying to engineer a coup uh, because they didn't like how the election went down uh, in 2016. So it, from the David Ferris point of view, should we not care about people like that? Are they, 
what's the David Ferris attitude about voters like that? I mean, I think voters who are like dressed up in a, in a red MAGA hat and go to the rallies and are like, he never did anything wrong. He's our God emperor. Uh, those voters are lost to us. You know what I mean? We're not getting those people back because they're impervious to evidence. But I think the bigger, the bigger picture thing here is to understand sort of how the right wing universe works. Um, I think there's like three or four key outlets in that universe, Fox News, Breitbart, there's this mysterious publication called The Federalist. Um, and what those organizations do is they take the administration's talking points, um, they launder them through a, a film of legitimacy, and then they send those talking points out to the people that watch those shows. Um, and so whatever Trump says, uh, it was actually Hillary in Ukraine that hacked their... They, can, can we take a second? Go. <laughs> so the theory, the conspiracy theory is that the Clinton campaign hacked its own computers um, and then blamed it on the Russians to get Trump in trouble so that he would lose the election, right? And then they took the server and they hid it in Ukraine. First of all, it's not how servers work, okay? <laughs> it's not how the technology works. You yeah. don't just be like, gotta hide it, you know? Put it in a closet, guys. Yeah. Um, <laughs> why would they do that? Why would she hack her own email and release this like endless string of like damaging emails up to the day of the election? Like they were all sitting around and be like, you know, it would be really good is if we got caught on an email talking bad about Bernie. Wouldn't yeah. that be great? Wouldn't yeah. that be awesome? Yeah, let's do that. It's so crazy. Um, but the, but the, way, the way that the right wing misinformation universe works um, is that it's, it's directed from the top. Um, the audience gets their, their marching orders. Um, and because there's still, I think, a residual trust in you know, any media outlet that you, that you get yourself into, you're like, well, they can't, they can't all be lying to me, right? Um, it's created this like sort of closed information loop and it's very hard to break that. Um, and so the people that are already at the rallies, they're gone. You know what I mean? Um, if we're going to flip people, uh, ironically, it's the lowest information voters out there who are the most likely to change teams be between an election. Um, this is based on work done by a political scientist up at, uh, actually she's about there. She's at the university of Maryland now, uh, Liliana Mason. Um, what is this theory? How, so, the, this? so we looked at the data. She looked at the data of uh, you know how people you know who who changes their votes in between elections. So you go with a, like a Obama Trump vote, you know the famous Obama Trump voter. Yeah. Okay. The Obama Trump voter is not people like you and me, right? Who are like, well, I know Obsessed you don't like Twitter, but like yeah. again, you know, we're yeah. all day yeah. every day with the with the politics. Yeah. They're the kind of people that are like, you know, in August of an election year, they're like, hey. Do you hear there's an election? Uh, <laughs> would, who are you going to well, vote for? I actually, don't know. Just to be correct, you it's generally considered after Labor Day. Yeah. That's like the keep it. So it's not even August of the election. It's September, whatever the day after Labor. Well, that's when I'll start paying attention. Yeah, so. yeah. And you know what? Honestly, maybe these people are a lot healthier than we are. I don't know, I, but uh, <laughs> probably probably a lot healthier, a lot happier. Maybe like yeah. nicer children. I don't know. <laughs> they garden. They have hobbies, right? Like I don't have hobbies. I don't have a life. Like this is like <laughs> in national emergencies. It's nonstop for okay. four years. Okay, but those are the people that that might that might change their votes. Yeah. Um. And so, and this is why I think Democrats are making a big mistake. If they want to wrap up impeachment so quickly, because they have to keep impeachment alive as an issue until the, the, the sort of the lower information, disconnected, independent voters who, who are perfectly willing to move back, to move from Trump back to whoever the Democrats nominate. Uh, there's not that many of these people. OK, uh, but there's it's like you know, five percent of the electorate, yeah. maybe. Um, but they're really critical. Um, and so I think if you wrap up the impeachment inquiry and then in September, you're like, let's go back to talking about the, the wealth tax or health care or whatever. I don't know that you're going to get those people. Like, I don't think you're going to convince those people that the president is corrupt if you've already closed the file in, in January, 11 months before you start reaching those voters. Mm.
Uh, well, I, uh, I, you're making some co- compelling arguments. I can just hear uh, a Democrat in a swing district under so much pressure, you know, to get it overdone, uh, going against what you're saying, but you're making a compelling, compelling case from a political standpoint. Let's get into some of the more of the policy issues, something we talk a lot, a, a lot about on this show. I don't think I've had this conversation with you because uh, I don't know if you've been on since the debates began, but the, the, uh, I was just talking about this uh, with Candace Castillo just the other day, as a matter of fact. Uh, listening to the uh, candidates for president articulate against health care for all, Mm-hmm. There's like four of them that uh, were in the debates articulating against health care for all and realizing, follow me this, David, that I forget what the percentage is, over 80 percent, something like that, of Democratic voters want Medicare for all. So we have candidates for president running in a Democratic primary who thinks it's in the party's best interest to articulate a plan that over 80 percent of their people uh, who vote the most loyal voting Democrats don't want. If that's not the definition of a party that wants to lose, I don't know what it is. So please help explain what's going on here. What's the rationale here? Well, first, I mean, it is, it's really demented. I mean, you have Michael Bennett, Colorado, Colorado senator, spending millions of dollars right now running ads against Medicare for All. Hey, Michael Bennett is not going to be the president of the University of Colorado, let alone the president of the United States. You know what I mean? It's like not going to happen. I mean, he's just wasting his own money, and he's like he's 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 driving negativity into this issue for Democrats. And I don't understand why he's doing it. Uh, beyond that, I mean, uh, you know, in a, in a primary like this, all twelve of those candidates agree about a lot of things, right? Um, they agree about the Iran deal. Um, they agree about probably trade. You know, maybe not trade, but they agree about a lot of things. Okay. And healthcare is a place where they can differentiate them, differentiate themselves, because if you're if you're Amy Klobuchar, you're Pete Buttigieg, you're um, who's the other who's the other moderate that's not Biden, uh, who's, who's who was on the stage, who was on the stage, was there one? Uh, uh, there was. Uh, Maybe Steyer. Okay. Yeah, also, well, also never going to be president. Yeah, uh, a, a, I'm looking at Candace. Um, just had a mental block and all the there's too many there's just better better okay. how can i forget Beto? yeah Beto. he's another moderate he goes oh yeah. you can't go too fast on this right right exactly okay. when we're so close to getting things done it's like we're not close to getting anything done what are you guys <laughs> idiots talking about yeah. um i think i think what's happening here is that every so the moderate the leading moderate in the race is biden mm-hmm. okay and biden can barely get a sentence out without stumbling on his words or like forgetting somebody's name or, <laughs> or being like, we should shoot for the moon like Kennedy. It's like, uh, like how old are you? <laughs> Jesus. Um, so, you know, I, he's obviously I'm not up to the task, right? Yeah. Like he's, uh, he seems like I, by hour three of that debate, I was like, all this dude is dreaming about is like putting his dentures into some, into some Alka-Seltzer and slipping away. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like he does not want to be there. He's too old. He cannot handle it. Um, it's a funny thing. He's, he's younger than Bernie, but Bernie looks, Bernie's had a heart attack. Bernie looks like he could run 11,000 circles around Joe Biden. <laughs> yeah. Day and a miracle night, about you know? Bernie Sanders. Yeah. yeah. And when Biden's like, I beat him like a drum. I'm like, I don't really think that you would, you know, I, I, I just don't. I don't so know. Trump versus Biden. Uh, Trump is a big man. You know, he's big, like but a, he's kind of flabby, man. I don't I know. know. Biden, he's quick. I'm just, I don't I, I can't I think that's what, that's what Biden wants us to believe yeah. is that he's, he's quick, limber, yeah. you know, like Joey M track, you know, from the, the last word I'll Right. Say it with that guy, quick. <laughs> so, yeah. anyway, yeah. I think that people smell uh, some blood in the water with Biden, yeah. right? and it's not just the Biden, the, the Hunter Biden stuff. Uh-huh. It's that he doesn't seem; he just seems out of it. Um, and I think the more people see that, they're going to be like this, like this guy. We put this guy up 
for like eight hours against Trump in a debate in October with the like basically the entire planet on the line. Yeah, I don't think so, man. <laughs> so I think the calculation is that Biden's going to fade or yeah. he's going to lose a couple of the early states and he's going to go away. Yeah. And that's going to open up space in the race for somebody that takes up that ideological position. And so you've got Buttigieg, Klobuchar, Steyer, Bennett, uh, all lobbying to be that person. Um, and that's why Pete has gone from like, you know, inspirational, uh, you know, like they're gonna they're gonna go after us no matter what we say. Why don't we just say what we believe? Yeah. To being like, oh, you know, we gotta get we gotta be deal make pragmatic. And I'm like, who are you? He's just a McKinsey consultant. Go away. Yeah. Um, and uh, <laughs> Mayor Pete. Mayor Pete, go away. Please go away. Please, yeah. please go as far away as possible. Yeah. Um, and so I think the <laughs> the most plausible person to I think the most plausible person out there right now to take Biden's space in the race is Klobuchar. To be honest, yeah. With you. She's got the like Midwest charm. She's got the moderate record. She can be like, look, all the, you know, all the Trumpy people voted for me in the last election. Um, and she can say a sentence, which is more than you can say for Biden at this point. Yeah, no, Klobuchar can say, uh, give her that. All right. Now, not to put you in the spot, but uh, in, our, in this studio, to my right, are two people. One supports Bernie Sanders and the other supports Elizabeth Warren. So I'm going to put it to you right now. So we, no matter what you say, you're going to offend one of these two people. Uh, no, Thanks for coming back, Dad. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, that's right. There's another Bernie Sanders supporter in here. So it's like actually two to one. Uh, Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders make the case for either of them. I mean, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. No, I think, uh, <laughs> you know, I have promised not to make an endorsement. Not that anyone, not that I'm famous enough that my yeah. endorsement, anybody cares about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I've promised to actually just consider the issue until I have to vote. Okay. Um, but I will tell you, I'm, I'm a lean Warren voter. Okay. So if the election were tomorrow and you put a gun to my head, I would vote for Elizabeth Warren. Now, why are you leaning toward Elizabeth Warren? Um, I think that she shares, you know, obviously she shares a lot of the policy space with with bernie sanders um i think that she's better capable of uniting the party mm -hmm. right, behind her as she, as she moves into a general election um that to me is the, the key difference in terms of the data that we see about how people feel about the candidates you ask them about their second choices uh morning consult has been asking this question of thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of democratic primary voters for months now and that's like who would you be most disappointed if they won the nomination mm -hmm. okay um, Biden, Biden's way up, you know, the, the idiots are first, right? It's like Marianne Williamson. Obviously we would all be very disappointed if Marianne Williamson won the primary, uh, Tulsi, I, I heard that you interviewed her, yeah. uh, <laughs> Tulsi Gabbard's up there, yeah. you know, like the people, John Delaney, but, but you know, Bernie's Is he still running, uh, allegedly, I don't know. He's running from reality. Yeah, if he's okay. still running you know, <laughs> and he's not, he's losing. You were on you know? fire today, <laughs> David Ferris, man. <laughs> <laughs> the views and opinions of David Ferris do not necessarily reflect the Ben Jarofsky show. That's correct. Uh, don't, don't represent Roosevelt University. Yeah, yeah that's for sure. Um, so anyway, I, I adore both of these candidates. I like to say um, that I have emotional voting tears. Okay. Um, like joyfully, Warren and Sanders. Happily, I don't know at this point, Booker. Uh, dutifully, uh, Harris, Klobuchar, you know, all the, all the dumb moderates. Resentfully, uh, Mayor Pete at this point. Uh, and then bitterly, it'd be like Gabbard and, and Williamson and Delaney and all the, you know, 
So it's like, and where is Joe Biden and all that? I just, I, that's a great breakdown. I'm going to steal it. Biden it. started off as dutifully and has like descended into resentfully. Okay. Because he's such a jerk. You know, in addition <laughs> okay. to being old and, and mealy mouthed and, and, and incompetent. Yeah. He's a jerk. I don't like him. Okay. So anyway, I would joyfully vote for either Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders. Well, it's say. been way too long since you've been here. And I'm going to include you with Candace is not in her head. Uh, we do a regular uh, segment with Candace and Samina Mustafa. We, go, we spend about an hour breaking down the debate so we'll make sure this guy's in here oh, yeah. uh, in uh, november is live well you two very smart uh, people all uh, sort of on the left i would say uh, uh in that room i have to sort of pretend like i'm the biden supporter in the room <laughs> that must wear on your soul are you gonna be okay uh, it's all right you know i i voted for i've hey i admit it two times only two times in my life have I faced the name Biden on a ballot? And each time I voted for him, just saying it, folks. That's right. In 2008, he was the vice presidential candidate to Barack Obama. I voted for him. In 2012, he was the vice president. I voted for him. So it would be kind of hypocritical for me, uh, David, to say, I hate Joe Biden. Yeah, you know, I, I don't hate him. I just, I mean, I prefer him to Trump, but. Uh, I definitely prefer him to Trump. All right, David Ferris is his name. He's a Roosevelt University political science professor. I urge everybody to check out his book, It's Time to Fight Dirty. Uh, he tells it like it is in terms of uh, advocating to the Democrats that they should stop rolling over and let Republicans walk all over them and start to use the Republican tactics against the Republicans and stop worrying about whether the Republicans say, oh, you're being unfair, because <laughs> I've never seen a Republican back off from doing something being unfair. And also, check him out. Uh, your column in the week is that correct? Yeah, you've been yeah. you're cranking them out, dude. You're like writing one a day. Yeah, they've been. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a lot lately. It's been a lot going on. Yeah, a lot, a lot of news on. to commentate about. How can they get a hold of that? The the columns. Uh, uh, just the week dot com. Uh, you'll you'll see me in one of the, you know one of the three or four top articles there usually. Um, or go to my website. It's blogs.roosevelt.edu slash dferris. Oh, that's a lot. To, okay, I know. Leave that. Yeah. We'll put it on our Facebook. Just go to page. my Twitter. Uh, David F-A-R-I-S uh, and next on uh, deck as we've been promising all day 20th Ward Alderwoman Jeanette Taylor this is another person who's not afraid to speak her mind and she's ready to go we'll bring her on when we return so this idea is a bunch of malarkey Guys, you, you all cool with him hey everybody what you're about to hear are the piano stylings of Jeff Manuel Man, listen to Jeff go. Jeff Manuel has been playing piano around Chicago for years. He's played for conventions, for celebrities, played in basement bars with blues bands. He's played at prestigious social clubs, fine restaurants, and in the intimacy of private homes. Book Jeff Manuel at jeffemanuelpianist.com. Don't worry, I'll spell his name at the end of this commercial. You know what Chicago Magazine said? They said that Jeff Manuel is, quote, as comfortable with Chopin as he is with Cole Porter. He's excellent, and his performance is joyous. He offers an elegant stream of compositions and interpretations that entertains the mind but won't hurt the ears. To hear more of Jeff Manuel's work and to book Jeff for your next event, go to jeffmanuelpianist.com. I'm going to spell it out for you, people. J-E-F-F. M as in Mary, A, N as in Nancy, U-E-L-P-I-A-N-I-S-T dot com. Take it away, Jeff Manuel. 
Today, in my last council meeting as mayor, it is the words of another baseball great that rang in my ear. 80 years ago, Lou Gehrig said, today I feel like the luckiest man on the face of the earth. Let me be clear, our work is not finished. I am in this job for another month, and if you know me, which you do, you know that I will make the most of every hour of every day from here to the end. But on this occasion of our last council meeting together, allow me to say that the opportunity to serve with you, to serve the people of the city of Chicago, the greatest city in the greatest country on earth, the most American of American cities, has truly been the highest honor of my career. And because of that, today, I feel like the luckiest man on the face of the earth. Thank you. Well, good riddance. Today's Ben Jaroski Show is brought to you in part by Green Element Resale. They're located at 6241 North Broadway in Chicago. And people, I got to say, it's the best thrift store I've ever been to in my life. I know they're sponsors of the show, but it's true. It's located right between on Broadway between Granville and Devon. You go there, you'll find all kinds of items. Antiques, lamps, clothes, furniture toys, board games. The other day we went over the list of board games. Oh, there's Clue. I see Clue right now. I'm looking at pictures from GreenElementResale.com. The Game of Life, right up there. They're all used games. or all the pieces in them? I don't know, but you go to Green Element Resale right now. You find out, all right? If you get them with all pieces, boy, you get a board game for like $3. Pictionary. Yeah, that's Pictionary. And sca- okay, nobody gets categories. That's mine. That's my favorite game, all right? Uh, someone stole my categories a few months back. I got to get it back. So, okay, that one's mine. But you can get Upwards and all kinds of excellent games at Green Element Resale. GreenElementResale.com. 773-942-6522 if you ever need to call them up for some reason. Their hours Monday through Saturday, 11 a.m. until 7 p.m. Sunday, 12 until 7 p.m. Green Element Resale. Go there. Save money. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Taylor with me, Alderwoman Jeanette Taylor from the 20th Ward. Uh, welcome back to the show. Thank Jeanette. you for having me. I always yeah. enjoy coming yeah, to hang out with you. It is a blast talking politics uh, with Alderwoman Taylor. Before we do that, do you got an update for me? Absolutely, I do. A few updates here. First off, let's go over to the uh, YouTube live stream and see what the people are saying here. Uh, let's see. We got someone who weighed in. Oh, Jay Marie weighed in. Hey, Jay Marie, how's it going? Uh, Jay Marie says, so disappointed. Ben does not like Breaking Bad. That's what we learned here earlier. Doesn't like Breaking Bad. Lost cool points. And he <laughs> voted for Lori, too. Tisk tisk. I did vote for Lori. Jeanette's like, what? <laughs> I did. I did, Jeanette. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Okay. Well, hey, Washington. <laughs> hey, show, show her that thing. It's pretty cool, right? <laughs> 3D print. All right. So if uh, you want to weigh in on the YouTube live stream chat, go ahead and do so on the YouTube page. We may read your comments. Speaking of reading your comments, we got to wrap up our caption contest oh, this yeah. week. Mm-hmm. Uh, earlier in the week, we reached 2,100 Wait, likes. Wait, time out. So we're going to announce the winner today? We're going to announce the winner like right now. Wait, sh- shouldn't we make uh, allow Jeanette Taylor to pick the winner? Oh, okay. Well, there's not there's not many of them. All right. Okay. All and, right. Uh, yeah, we kind of, yeah, we should have prepared that. Yeah, huh? we should have prepared that. I didn't all think right, of that. It's my right. fault. Well, let's go, ahead and, uh, let's go ahead and uh, announce uh, some of these captions that we had here. Quite a few of you captioned. Thank you so much for weighing in on the Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook page. The picture begging for your caption is one of Alderman Ed Burke and uh, Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. President Donald Trump is talking to Ed Burke. Hey, they both look like weirdos. So let's read the captions here. Thank you, everybody who sent them in. Uh, let's see here. Carol. Carol weighed in. Once again, picture Donald Trump talking to Ed Burke. Carol says, hey, Eddie, I heard the feds raided your offices, and you're now defending an indictment. 
Yeah, Donnie. I heard they were going. Wait, no, this is Wait, uh, that's Ed Burke. That's Ed Burke. Yeah, I don't know what he sounds like. Yeah, Donnie. I heard they were coming to your place next. <laughs> There's that one. I don't know if he sounds anything like that. Uh, all right, and let's see. We'll do a few more here. Uh, let's see. We got okay. We got Layla. Uh, Layla weighed in. She said, uh, "This is Trump talking to Ed Burke. Hey, just don't cooperate, and you'll be fine." Yeah, that's uh, advice. <laughs> <laughs> Ed Burke wishes Danny Solis had followed. Shout out to Wally. Wally weighed in. He said, uh, "Hey." Uh, Ed Burke, you know your hair can look like this, too. Yeah. Just combing over that way. Yeah, they both got goofy hairdos, guys. All right, and uh, let's see here. She says, oh, Kathy weighs in. She's doing, uh, remember we've mentioned that uh, Alderman Ed Burke shook down a Burger King in his Mm -hmm. ward. That's correct. Uh, Not the nicest feller in the world, but Kathy weighs in. She says, you should have picked McDonald's, Eddie. (laughs) No whistle blowing there. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Very good. Uh, Let's see here. Oh, Frank Coconati weighed in. Oh, Coconati weighed in. What did Frank have to say? My old friend. All right, I just got to make sure. I got to proofread Coconati. expletives. This is Donald Trump talking to uh, Ed Burke here. It says, hey, Eddie, how much did it cost you to pay off Michael Sneed at the Sun-Times? All right, that's not, all right, no, hey, it's Coconati letting you know he doesn't like uh, the Coconati being Coconati. All right, and uh, let's see here. And we're going to announce our winner right now for the first time in Ben Jarofsky Show history. Back-to-back caption contest winner. His name's Paul. Oh, all right. What a... Paul had the best one here. Once again, Donald Trump talking to Ed Burke. Donald Trump says, wait, were you saying grab him by the purse strings? <laughs> yeah, I remember that one, yeah. You know what? Really good. Uh, so the check for uh, $100,000 is in the mail. Isn't that what we're giving away? I mean, you can pretend that. That's yeah. fine. Okay, it's in the mail. All right, thank you very much, uh, Paul, for that great caption. Alderwoman Jeanette Taylor. And uh, we've been talking so much about the teacher strike. Uh, so I'll just start with this. The Chicago Tribune, I dutifully read the Chicago Tribune today, said, we as a citizen, a, citizen, a civilization cannot afford uh, to pay for more nurses, more social workers and counselors. I'm just saying what they said. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd love to get your thoughts on that. Uh, can we, the uh, city of Chicago, afford to pay for more social workers, counselors, and nurses in our public schools, particularly schools in neighborhoods uh, like yours? Of course we can. We spend $931 million on administration. And if I pay my ticket at the city clerk's office, I still have to go up to the seventh floor to the Department of Finance to let them know I pay because those those departments don't work together. So we could afford it. We're not broke and they're full of shit. That's what this is. (laughs) My lived experience, I saw 52 kindergartners in a classroom. I remember that. My special needs son was a child that got his services under the stairs. I saw that the gym room was too overcrowded to eat lunch in and kids took their lunch to a classroom. And so don't give me that crap about what we can't afford. How do you explain to parents who kids are diabetic that they see a nurse once a week? And so you train some office staff or somebody who is usually the clerk, which my mother was for 30 years, to do an injection. She's not a nurse. She's not qualified to do that. She's not even certified to do it, but we allow it to happen. And in Chicago, we all know it's because of the the kids we're talking about serving. This is black and white. Ain't no damn gray area. This is about serving black and Latino communities. We know that the 50 school closings happened on the south and west sides. And who lives on the south and west side, Ben? black and brown children so don't give me that crap about we can't afford it yes we can when we make young people the priority it shouldn't matter what side of town you live on a quality education is a must it happened i'm an 80s baby 
I didn't know the difference. I had a good quality school. I had teachers who loved me. I saw the nurse every day. We had a psychiatrist and a psychologist. Anytime something happened, those people surrounded us, which too often didn't happen in our communities. And so the thought that it's not, it's its issue now, 42 West Madison used, needs to do what it used to do best back in the day, and that was paperwork. As opposed to? Worrying about what your data, 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 because yeah. they love saying that. Yeah. What your spreadsheet says. My child is not a spreadsheet. My child is a person who deserves to have people who come out and evaluate the schools properly and say that this is what's missing and this is what's needed. Yeah. Uh, and we also played a clip earlier today. Uh, Janice Jackson from uh, the head of the Chicago Public Schools uh, went on. I think was it Fox? Was it Fox TVD? Yeah, Fox 32. Uh, Fox, she said, we can't afford that. That's a direct quote. We Tell can't. her to take a pay cut then she makes enough she used to be a teacher she used to be a principal she knows better i had a a, a run-in with her when she was the network chief um they wanted we as parents wanted our students to opt out of the park test which didn't do anything and just gave money to their friends and when we opted out her and her folks threatened to suspend young people what they didn't realize that the kids they were threatened their parents actually are parents who participate because you know as black and brown parents let them tell her we don't participate but i've only been on the local school council 22 years and so i didn't believe Janice was the right person to go in that space. She's there because she's a black woman and that's supposed to make me feel comfortable. It don't. I don't care if she black, white, green, or purple. Her ass is wrong. She is wrong and all. Cut some of them salaries downtown. The state has given CPS more money. CPS is too busy worrying about making its its well-off constituents happy and saying the hell with the rest of us. So they, she could save that. I don't believe nothing she say. She'll waste the time. And Lori is crazy for keeping her on. Pick your own person. We need somebody in that space who cares about young people, not young people whose parents have money. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I, I, I've noticed uh, is that I live on the north side. And in the early days, when the strike talk was just ramping up, people would come up to me. Uh, they know where I stand on things, uh, Jeanette. And they would say, it, it was just a repeat of 2012, but can't you get your girl? Because they always think like I somehow control Stacey Davis Gates. Like anybody <laughs> can tell Stacey Davis Gates. Can't you get, they used to say, can't you get your girl, uh, Karen Lewis, to XYZ, you know, fall in line. And so my sense of things was that on the north side, and maybe I'm just bumping into the wrong people, is that uh, most of the voters or the people on the north side, residents on the north side, were with Lori. Uh, what's your sense about how it plays? I've since, I've since come around to think maybe I was just running into the wrong people. What's your sense about how it plays in your neck of the woods, the 20th Ward, which is the Woodlawn area, uh, just south of Hyde Park, et cetera? Uh, what's your sense about how mo most of your constituents view this uh, showdown between uh, the Chicago Teachers Union and Mayor Lori Lightfoot? They understand. And while they can't afford not to go to work and not have their kids um, not go to school and have a safe space to be to learn, they truly un understand and they support the teachers. It's righteous. How do Kim kids take gym online? Do they do that in the white community? No, I've never heard of gym online. Oh, the kids that diet took it. 
How about some kids don't even have gym? Gym online? Gym online. That's what the kids were at diet going through before it closed in that last two years of the phase That's out. That's right. They were taking gym. Who in the hell takes gym online? How do you even do gym online? Mm, you click a button and say, did you do five push-ups, I guess. I don't know. Doesn't make common sense to me either. And so I ask people all the time, does a white mother want something different than a black mother wants for their child? to be educated, to be in a safe place, to make sure that they have all the things to me to make them a productive adult? The answer is no. We want the exact same thing no matter what color you are. The difference is that white mother gets more of an ear of the people in power because she has money. She's seen it value. I'm not. I used to feel like a voiceless black mother in CPS because they did not listen. And too often you got to cuss and go out and be said you the black woman with the attitude. So what? I'm 44 years old. I'm in full menopause. And the person that can hold me back is my mother. And she died in January this year. So to hell with all of them. Yeah. I'm speaking truth to power. And it's righteous for the teachers and the seekers and the park districts for them all to be out. It's a shame that the park district got people who've been there since they're 18 and they don't even make $17 an hour. In what type of world is that? Yeah. That's righteous? Yeah. That's okay? No. We got to get to a space where we call out bullshit when it is. Yeah. And the Sun-Times and the Tribune, they wrong on this one. I'm sorry. They yeah. just, hell, they didn't pick me the first round. Mm. Wasn't to the runoff that they saw I'm worthy. And it's just an editorial. It's just what they think. Yeah. I ain't talking about what I think. I'm talking about what I know and what I lived. Uh, and black black and brown children on the south and west side need an opportunity to be educated. You wonder why they out in the streets. Those 50 school closings, they still looking for kids. They're still trying to figure out what happened to those families. Help, help me out here. Uh, you were a, a school activist for many years. Uh, that's when I first met you, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, you were talking about overcrowded 52 kids. I remember when you said the 52. I remember the phone conversation. The 52 kids. I was like, 52? I didn't believe you. Remember? I don't believe you. There were 52. Uh, you come on down and see it. Then they wouldn't let me in the school. That's a of whole course. other story. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, so uh, what, one of the things uh, that I, I hear all the time is we can't afford it. Uh, and yet we can afford money for the Lincoln Yards development or we can afford That's an money empty tiff that they're going to put tiffs from my community again to make sure that that project gets done. That's bull. That's bull. I'm voting no. I, I, I don't talk. I don't, I don't talk to talk. I walk to walk. And so it's the same thing with the cannabis. I voted no. Us being on the, the behind the ball when there are 11 folks who are already who don't look like us, who are not from our communities, already have the licenses is an issue for me. Mm -hmm. We got 20 votes on the on the Black Caucus. We got 17 votes on the Progressive Caucus. There's some overlay. We can make shit happen. Harold taught us the lesson. They did it to Harold. Yeah. Why she going to be any different? See, it's because we're so busy of getting our little piece here and our little piece there. Instead of looking at the entire picture, say, we all can eat. I always say there are enough pieces of pie for everybody to eat if we stick together. Have you had an opportunity to directly tell Mayor Lightfoot what you're saying to me right now? Around the CBA, yes. We've had some conversations. CBA, the president yes, Obama. and around mm -hmm. progressive uh, revenue. Don't tell me about you worried about LaSalle Street moving. Mm -hmm. I, bye. See you later. You've been here long enough. One penny on each transaction would get us out of debt. Us taxing the rich. The real estate transfer tax. Uber and Lyft. They use up enough. They should be paying more. People who profit off of us should pay. Mm -hmm. Period. 
It seems as though there's absolutely no will whatsoever right now in the city of Chicago uh, to do the things that you're talking about. Oh, I'll, yes, there is. There is. She's going to support. We, we talked about the pilot program. And so it was a resolution I introduced last month to talk about taxing these university and hospitals. They get all of our service and pay absolutely nothing. I am by the biggest set of patronizers of pain in the world. I'm by the University of Chicago. And while I have transparent conversations with them, they need to pay what they owe. They got a 70-year history of displacing folks. If you look at what a majority of the universities and hospitals are, where are they? In black and brown neighborhoods where they push us out pay what you owe we'll give you an opportunity we'll say this what you're gonna pay but then we're gonna organize and we're gonna put in the ordinance that says you gotta pay so what you want to do you want to be forced or do you want to come to the table and say we're willing to do this but either way you're gonna give up something when you talk to other aldermen in the city council do they agree with you or do they tell you jeanette you're uh, pushing too much you're uh, demanding too much you're not going to get this so stop talking you know so forcefully and just go along so one of my co-workers told me like you know you're you're the person we're worried about you're the threat and i was like why they don't know how i got down there oh i got down there because i got on these doors and i talked to people and i agree with what they agree with but i didn't go down there and pretend to be somebody i'm not and i ain't old into nobody I got the union support and I get to, I tell people that all the time because I sat in the community and labor table for 10 years and it was not easy. I haven't always agreed with the unions. I respect them, but that don't mean I agree to them. I'm in this seat because I got up off my ass and talked to my people and say, what is it that you want me to do? I'm not going to get down here and act like I don't know you once I get in this seat. You're, you're going to have a seat at the table. And so for me, it's being who I've always been, a person that stands up for what's right because it ain't no gray area for me either you right or your ass is wrong and if you wrong i'm gonna tell you all day long you know uh jeanette it's funny i had a conversation with a gentleman who remained anonymous the other day but it's a lord life supporter and i was talking about how we should have nurses social workers counselors and he said ben everybody agrees that we should have nurses social workers counselors and i'm going well if everybody agrees we have should have nurses counselors how come <laughs> here i am 30 years living in the city of chicago we still don't have nurses social workers counselors and librarians in the city of Chicago. So obviously, if everybody agrees, they have a funny way of showing that agreement. My humble opinion, the only way anybody ever concedes on these basic points is like if there's massive resistance. And talk about this in terms of what you went through with a hunger strike to get a high school uh, at Diet High School to keep them from closing Diet High School. There is this notion that folks in the community don't care about young people. We don't stand up and fight for them. All we're worried about is how much we can get paid. Yeah, that's some of the people. That's some of the paid-ass pastors. That's some of the people that would historically stand behind Rom and say it's okay to close schools. It's okay to close mental health clinics. It's okay to port resources for the Wintrust Theater and DePaul University. But there are some folks that say, hell no. And too often, those are the people we don't listen to. And so the hunger strike for me was the fork in the road. Because it was either I'm a fight and organize for the rest of my life, or I'm tired of this shit and I'm going to take my kids to another state where I can make it and it's easy living. I chose to stay and fight because somebody has to be okay with standing up. I tell people every day, I don't wake up in the morning wanting to cuss somebody out. But if I got to to make sure that we right the wrongs that this country has done to our people, then that's just so be it. And I don't care who it is. It's the same thing I've said about the CBA. 
President Obama, Beyonce, Queen Elizabeth. If you ask wrong, you ask wrong, and I'm going to call you out. Just explain that. People make the CBA, Community Benefits Agreement for the Obama Center, talk about So it's that. us just saying that we want to be able to stay and benefit from this, um, the OPC coming. The city of Chicago gave them that land for 99 years for $10. I can't get three boxes of cereal and a gallon of milk in this city for $10, <laughs> but they gave them that land. Yeah. It's making sure anytime investment happens in black and brown communities, low income and working families are the first to be pushed out. And so we're saying protect that class of people that are there. Make sure we build some affordable housing, which I don't know why is this conversation about my investment, because I want people to be clear. You talking about your investment now, but when you turn 65, that income is leveled because you're retired by then. We'll see what happens to your investment then. We hadn't learned shit from the Olympics because they showed us in the Olympics what's going to happen. You're going to start selling off your buildings. People are going to turn over the condos. And then it's, I'm important. I don't want you to live here. No, I ain't going nowhere. And if you want to move, you can move. But I'm here to stay. And so I'm fighting for everybody who is here now, Mm -hmm. everybody who lives in this community to stay. And be able to not only enjoy the OPC, but benefit from it. We should get the jobs. We should be on those contracts. These people shouldn't get to come out of our neighborhood. They got people now want to come around the community like, we want, we, how could we help you? We don't need your damn help. We could come up with our own plans for our own community. We don't need your investors. We don't need your dollars. We, we got it. If they leave our damn TIF dollars alone, if they let me do actually what I'm elected to do, which is help my community organize around what it wants to see and figure out how to use our tax dollars, that best way to build it will be just fine. And so the community benefit agreement is that something that has to be approved by the Chicago City Council? Of course it does, because... If you think about the United Center, the United Center pays the property taxes within a mile radius of that community. So once the United Center was built, they got a property tax freeze, the United Center pays a difference. The difference is they saying this is going to be a nonprofit. So who do you hold accountable to make sure that people don't get displaced? You hold the city of Chicago, the people who own the land and the property and get the tax breaks and give the TIF dollars. That's who you hold accountable. And so we're smart enough to go after the city. That's what makes sense. They couldn't have got that land without city approval. They can't get all of these um, TIF dollars without the city approval. So if the city going to give them the land, the city should put the protections in place. And don't give me that, oh, we can't afford. Yes, you can. Because if this was Lincoln Yards, if this was 78, if this was Maggie Daily Park, y'all asked would have figured it out. Figure it out now. Yeah. Or into that list, let me add Amazon. This has been on my mind Ooh, lately. Oh Jesus! Uh, I just I'm gonna have to be de- dealing with this one, uh, Jeanette. Just it just was a year or so ago, or two years ago. Uh, Rom, Mayor Rom, and uh, Governor Rauner were just throwing so much money at was Amazon. Was gonna get in the kitchen sink and everything. everything. And nobody, I didn't see anybody say we can't afford it. I, didn't I see was. Anybody. I was like, Amazon <laughs> can take his ass somewhere else. They ain't well, getting a excuse dollar. Me. I didn't see anybody in uh, and the the civic of course, or corporate l- world. It's just it 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 pays to sell out. I've been a broke woman all my life. This little money that I get from the city is helping me catch up on my bills. But it's a headache. It's a notion. But I love being able to stand up and say all of the shit that everybody else won't say. And so when I'm in the caucus meetings, they like, here come Miss Firecracker. Here she come. Oh, there she go. Because I say what they've been thinking. And I'm not, I, I didn't get down here to play to get along or go along. What do they say to you? So what, in, in the back rooms when you're dealing with your you're caucus right. members? You're right. 
you're right. My first meeting with the Black Caucus, I told them, y'all a joke to the city. I'm not going to join the Black Caucus just because I'm black. We need to use our 20 voice to organize and do something. If y'all not going to do that, feel free to give me back my $500 and y'all have a good day. Same thing with the Progressive Caucus. $1,500 to join. If we're not, those caucuses are not going to, because I'm an organizer. Wait, time out. It costs 500 to join the Black Caucus and 1500 to join it the Progressive. Does. It Why does. Why does the Progressive Caucus cost more than the Black Caucus? Uh, you need to ask them. I don't know, but they ain't got all my $1,500 yet. I'm paying in installments. I'm broke. I can't get them up no $1,500. <laughs> and then I'm going to be on the, the Women's Caucus. So I'm sure it's a price in there. But for me to be on all those, I'm not just going to be on that just to be nice and take a picture and stand with people to be friends. I'm good. I got enough friends so what did that so the other members so stick start with the black caucus what do they say they say you're right I'm right. I'm righteous. Stand up. We felt like we didn't have a say so. We felt like our arms were tied. This is an opportunity. And see, the difference is I come with the community. So you you can piss the community off if you want to, because these people protest. These people go to your office. These people could continue to play about this community benefits agreement if you, they want to. Guess who, guess who office they going to be at? The Department of Housing. Guess who they going to doorstep they going to be on? Marissa Navarra. Guess who house they going to be at? Lori's. And they're righteous to do that. You can't keep y'all are playing we do not have time to play games at city council we're playing with people's lives and it's wrong that's why so many of our people live in iowa they live in they go to minnesota they're in arizona they're everywhere but chicago because they can't afford it anymore and they are tired of fighting i got some good fight up in me so let's fight what about what's the black caucus's attitude about uh, the current teacher strike for the most part, they know it's righteous and they right because they hear it from their constituents. I think the hardest part of this is in a predominantly in our neighborhoods, people have to send their kids to these spaces. And we're concerned about it's like the people who work at 42 Mess Medicine in the district office. How much relationships do they really have with these kids? I don't really trust them. I got a son who's autistic. He's 15. He has a dedicated aide. First of all, I wasn't sending him to be in the building with some people who are not qualified, aged, educated enough. These are the same people who get who get promoted for for looking over rape cases. These are the same people, the same recycled folks. They kick them out of one space in the city, then they put them in CPS to make them comfortable because they was part of the sellout. So, no, I'm not sending my babies to be at school with them. I'm just, I'm just not going to do it. And I'm concerned about the parents who I got the luxury to do it. What would you think the re response from the powers of being the city would be if all the members of the Black Caucus and the Chicago City Council, all of them, each one, showed up on a picket line at their neighborhood schools to support their teachers and stood with uh, the teachers union and the call for more nurses, social workers. It's, and if it wasn't just Jeanette, I know you're doing it. All right. Are there, there are a bunch others? of people that are doing it. Rosanna, okay. Byron, Matt Martin, Maria Hatton. You got Carlos out there. You got some folks right. who are out there. That's that's not just the newbies either. There are a bunch of folks. Well, you didn't name anybody from the Black Hawk. Maybe Matt Martin and um, Maria, uh, Hatton. Maria Hatton. Okay, but what I'm if trying they, to think. Jason Irvin might have been on a picket line. Melissa, yeah. There's been some people from the Black Caucus, but I think if we all stood together and say this is wrong, then Lori would have no choice. Remember, her budget is coming up. She needs our vote. I, I ain't voting yes, because 
because of that. I'm I'm sorry. They can play the play if they want to. I'm just gonna call that BS when I see Let, it. Let's let's get this. Oh, so I want to hear this straight up. Make sure I'm understanding this. So you're linking your vote on the budget to uh, Lori's behavior with her uh, intransigence, reluctance to f- uh, put in a contract, a guarantee that the public schools have nurses, social workers, uh, librarians, etc. Correct. I'm sorry. Those young people are the most important thing, and it's the only thing that's going to help us fix this mess. You think about what's going on with this climate change. These young people, if they're educated and treated right in this space, they're going to fix what we messed up because we fucked this up. Our generation did. We just did. They're going to fix it. And for you not to want to support them on the front end, that's just like this universal pre-K cap they put in pre, they, they put in CPS. CPS can't get K through 12 right. So we're going to let them mess up the kids that's two to three, two to five? No. And we don't talk about that you took the, the money from black and Latino women who run these organizations. So you just killed black businesses. No, you're wrong. That's stupid. Don't do that. I'm standing up for my people. What, I don't this talk about that universal pre-K cap. So universal pre-K, th- the money usually goes to these daycares. So mm-hmm. in our community, it was Little Angels. We got Metropolitan Family Services. We had a bunch of good services. When they took the money and said, we're going to put universal pre-K in CPS, so the kids going to only be there at 2.30, mm-hmm. 3 o'clock when the school closed. A lot of these places stay open till 6, 7, 8 because parents need it. Some of our parents work two and three jobs. So they needed this universal pre-K. They support the entire family. CPS don't even support kids when their family members get shot if you live on the south and west side. I know families who've lost a brother, an uncle, and an aunt all in the same year. And because it was not a sibling, CPS would not send out the, curses, the crisis team. So we going to let them fuck up kids too? We're gonna let them mess up the babies. It's not the same type of you it's not the same type of nourishment. It didn't make sense. And they didn't who did they talk to? They didn't do a needs assessment as usual. They quick to say data, data, data. You didn't do a needs assessment because we didn't need CPS to do universal pre-K. They can't get K through 12 right. Let's 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 let them concentrate on what they already don't do with. Let's just uh, back up here because what you're saying, just take a moment to reflect. Whenever there's uh a, a particularly uh, lo- large number of shootings uh, in Chicago that affect uh, kids who go to the public schools. There's all this outcry uh, in all the newspapers about how can we tolerate this? How can we put up with this? And then fast forward to a situation where the teachers union, I don't know why it should be come down to this, why it just get me started here, Jeanette, why it should come down to a strike thing to, demand that the Chicago public schools hire nurses and social workers and communities where kids are getting shot. Why it would take a teacher strike to do that? Why did they just do that? Forget Lori doing it. Rob should have done it. Daly should have done it. But here we are uh, a teacher strike. So the same people who say it's oh, it's so horrible that these kids are have to be. But think about uh, this. Subjected it's to the same they hire lawyers. Nurses. It's the same people that were in play when Daly and Rom. So you expect them to do something different? It's the same folks. Janice was there with Rom. Those same lawyers that were fighting a teacher strike back in the day are the same lawyers that's sitting at the table. So you expecting them to do something different? And Lori has to be smart enough to look at some of this herself. 
in my community, when somebody calls me and say, this is what's going on in the community, why well, I want to believe every one of my constituents, I investigate. Tell her to take her ass down to Mollison School and see. Tell her to go to Burke Elementary. Tell her to go to Teal. Tell her to go to Fisk. Fisk has just had a situation where a child was drugged out of the building and the principal watched. And they left this kid outside for 15 minutes. That ain't okay. You got to be able to do your own work. Part of the problem is we got too many people in politics who ain't from Chicago who don't get it. And that's my struggle with Lori and her team. She is surrounded by people who are not Chicago born and bred it. You could be born here, but be bred it here. That's a different thing. Right. That means you get the politics, you get pay to play, you get how the pieces connect. Yeah. She doesn't have enough people like that around her. And so when it's when when it comes to me, they try to keep me and her away from each other. Cause you know why? I'ma tell her the truth. Cause I I don't want her to fail. I got so sick of hearing that she was a black gay woman. I, why can't she just be a black woman? Because I don't care who you sleep with, who you date, or how you live your life. Are you going to roll up your sleeves and do this work to make our city what it's supposed to be? If you are, let's stand together. If you not, move your ass out the way or get rolled over. Uh, that is Jeanette Taylor. I'm going to disagree with you uh, one little piece. I've been around this town a long time, and the people who are from Chicago, bred, didn't do such a great job when they were running things. Daly had... I said bred it. You, everybody ain't bred it. <laughs> okay. I don't care if Daly was born here. Daly was a neighborhood cat. Now, he was the racist as the days as long, but I bet you he didn't want to hear no disrespect from the people in his community. It's a difference. Your policies are what they are. We ain't going to be on the same size, but when you bred it here, that means you, you, you owe to the people in your community do and you, daily was in his community you if you say that rom hell to the no <laughs> it was a mistake altogether picking his ass don't blame me for that one oh i don't <laughs> i don't blame you yeah, for that one yeah. i blame us not being organized because if we had organized chewy would have been in that damn yeah. seat period yeah and there was an election before that in 2011 uh jeanette taylor's in the studio she's fired up i'm gonna we're gonna take a break i'm gonna come back and i'm gonna ask her about what i call the reefer bill she was one of 10 people who voted no and then i'll probably ask her uh, a, a national political question or two she's got a big announcement she wants to make today uh, i think she's gonna announce who she supporting for president. We'll be right back with Alderwoman Jeanette Taylor after this. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture, food, arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. The union will say they need a nurse in every school. I agree. And we put it in writing in the contract in a way that ensures that it happens. The union will say that they want more support for students experiencing homelessness. We did that. We offered to put those additional supports in the contract. And here at City Hall, our Department of Housing and our Department of uh, Children and uh, Families and Support Services, we are making historic advances when it comes to affordable housing and dealing with homelessness. The union says it wants smaller class sizes memorialized in the contract. We agreed and offered more funds to reduce class sizes in high poverty schools along with an enforcement mechanism that will make it happen. 
so why don't we have a deal? The union has told the public repeatedly that the two issues we need to resolve are class size and staffing, and we have met their needs. But behind the scenes, they've continued to bring up additional bargaining issues that they say must be resolved before they can have a contract. For example, the union is still demanding to shorten instructional time by 30 minutes in the morning. We won't do that. We will not cheat our children out of instructional time. And I won't agree to any changes that do that. The union wants more money. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Mr. Jarofsky, take us home. You know, you haven't played that song in a while, and, every, and whenever you do, it gives me an opportunity to say this. Uh, Alderwoman Jeanette Taylor is not only a powerful uh, force for truth and justice on the 20th Ward of the City of Chicago, she plays a mean piano, and that's Jeanette Taylor playing the piano on that song. See the piano right over there, <laughs> keyboard. <laughs> Yeah, no. Uh, no. I might could carry a tune, but I cannot play the piano. Uh, she can carry it. Can you? Are you uh, a good singer? I am. I used to sing in the Baptist church. My grandfather was a traveling preacher, and my mother, my mother had fourteen siblings, and so they had a singing group that traveled. So yes, fourteen siblings. Yes. That wait, I'm going to do the math. That means there were fifteen kids in the. It was family. fourteen. She was one of fourteen. Oh, I got you. She was one of yes. fourteen. They would sing. Well, uh, Dennis, at the start of every show, just to embarrass and humiliate me, he makes me sing a song, whatever's on my mind. So today's song, I heard it on the radio last night. It's been on my mind. Chain of Fools by. Aretha Franklin. So he made me sing that today at the start of the show. Do it again. Come on, let's hear it. <clears throat> chain, chain, chain. Come on. Chain, chain, chain. Yeah, man. Chain, chain. Chain of fools. Wow, she can sing. Uh, That's you know, so awesome. Uh, every chain has got a weak link. It does. <laughs> That's uh, a line in the song. All right, before we get out of here, we may do a uh, maybe go barbershop quartet style, <laughs> all of us. Yeah. Maybe, but we do have some uh, things to read here. The live stream chat loves you, Jeanette Taylor, by the way. Oh, no. <laughs> Jeanette Taylor comes on the Ben Jarofsky show. May Lori Lightfoot doesn't like it, but the, our viewers <laughs> love it. She respects it. what I think. To be honest, she might not believe, agree with me, but she respects that I have my own opinion and I do my research. Our, fr our friend Radio Doogie weighed in. He says she needs to run for president. We need this type of fierceness <laughs> in the Democratic Party. This is what I'm looking for. Big ups to her. And uh, Bruce Bruce says, hey, or at least mayor. Oh, Mayor, yeah. Well, uh, Jeanette was at the hideout uh, with us last month, and so on the north side, and when she was done, and basically she didn't change just because she was on the north side in front of a, a room full of white people. There were people coming up, taking pictures, hugging her and everything. Uh, by the way, on uh, November 5th, uh, Jeanette, we're going to have uh, back at the hideout. We're going to be back at the hideout for first Tuesday. We're going to have Stacey Davis Gates with us. So wow, we'll see how she does. Exciting. Yeah, it's very exciting. Stacey and, Davis and, Gates. And before we wrap it up here, uh, Mayor Lightfoot, uh, we got some updates on her as well. Shout out to our colleague, France Bielman. She sat down with Mayor Lightfoot today. Uh, and based on her video, which you can check out at chicago.suntimes.com this weekend, all right? It says here, Mayor Lightfoot acknowledged Friday. Friday that she will have no choice but to raise property taxes, which were more than doubled by former Mayor Rahm Emanuel, if her agenda falls flat in the General Assembly's fall veto session. Mm, raising property taxes. That ain't right. That's not what you said. That's not what you're going to do. If she follows 
if she if she follows we we have these briefings and so we've been having briefings every week on how do we raise revenue to get out of the hole if she takes on pilot which is going to tax the universities and hospital if she does a LaSalle Street tax a penny if she taxes the millionaires we could we could get out of the hole we could we don't have to raise property taxes don't fall for it they're depending on this um this casino they're going back down in Springfield to do the casino deal and they're hoping that and the cannabis gets us out the hole no all it's right. not all right speaking of cannabis uh you were one of 10 no votes yep on the city council's uh, on the ordinance was it Wednesday I guess it was Wednesday yep. explain why you voted no because the 11 folks who are going to get those contracts don't they are not people of color but they want to put them in our communities and so how do we level the playing field and us laying the playing field meant we shouldn't have supported that that ordinance and so it's why i didn't um black and brown folks are not an afterthought um you want we are taxpaying folks and we need to be a part of the process on the front end not the back and so part of the black caucus thought that we can kind of control it through zoning so because we get to we have a say so over zoning but they needed to go back to the drawing board and springfield didn't get this right like we are now going to sell what we locked black and brown folks up for so we're going to legalize weed, but we're not going to to pay reparations to folks who've been spending 10 and 20 years of their lives in jail for the same exact thing. The land of the free and home of the brave for who? So you were, uh, it was an interesting combination of aldermen that voted no. Ray Lopez, I believe, voted mm-hmm. no. My good friend uh, from the 15th Ward, right down the street from you. Uh, and I would have said... Th- I would have thought he would have been a yes vote, but uh, he voted no. Uh, who else voted no? Oh, uh, I believe Marty Quinn from the 13th. Well, I was like, he voted no? That's Mac Madigan's alderman. Something's going voted on. no. Sophia King voted no. There were a bunch well, of David Moore. David, I'm not surprised. I've known David for a, a while. Good guy. Yeah, he, he, he will vote against Anthony the mayor. Anthony Beal voted no. Well, that's part of that Ray Lopez, Anthony Beal thing. They, you know what? Well, I don't believe agree with them on a lot of things politically they were absolutely right he gave an eloquent went speech he was on point he is absolutely Who, right bill or lopez bill mm-hmm. lopez didn't say anything bill gave the coming to jesus speech which was right when do we put our people first and say no if we're not a part of it on the front end it ain't gonna happen and we got the power to do that so he was on point mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, no, it's always a situation here in the city of Chicago. Well, yeah, we'll vote for this now. We'll deal with this later. Hey, it's the same thing with the nurses. They go, just settle the deal. Take the money. We'll deal with the nurses later. You know, nope. Chicago being Chicago. If it ain't in writing, you can forget it. You date and bamboozled us so many times. I Listen. Well, if they believed in nurses in this public school as a universal right that every kid should have, they'd be in the public school and we wouldn't leave it to a negotiation of a union contract to do something right. that they should have done 30 years ago. And people should be thanking the union for putting young people first. They should be thanking them. Well, let me ask why you nobody else. Why didn't the mayor do it before then? Why didn't Rom do it? Why didn't Daly do it? Yeah. Because they, they don't care. My my uh, my old friend, Mays Jackson, the political strategist, uh, talk show host, was on uh, Channel 32. He says, it's all politics. Uh, this is just uh, the union's way of letting Lori Lightfoot know they exist and sort of pay back because their candidate, Tony Prickwinkle, lost. What's your response to Mays Jackson? How many kids does Mays Jackson have in Chicago public schools? How many has he put through Chicago public schools? It's easy to talk about what you don't live and where you're not sitting at. I got two kids, one at South Shore, one at 
at Hubbard High School. And the conditions in both of those schools, both of those schools struggle. Why? Because they're on the south side. The school is south short and changed principals and administration so much, my daughter don't know who the principal is. My son is a new artistic kid at Hubbard High School. He was never supposed to be there. He was supposed to go to Limblom. But because they they use their CPS Go app that didn't work for no damn body that you don't hear about now that they spent all that damn money on didn't work. My son is in a school where he's unfamiliar with. I took him to Limbloom to do a tour because with autistic kids, there's a certain way you have to do things. And so I'm tired of people talking about what they think. Mm -hmm. This is my lived experience. Chicago public schools does not do right by black and brown students. The teachers union is righteous and right to fight for these students. You know how many of them spend money and buy clothes for students and supplies for students? You know how many of them stay at 10 o'clock at night? My aunt, rest her soul, Antoinette Perry Sigler, was a teacher for 15 years. You know how many times that she didn't go home to 10 and 11 o'clock doing lesson plans and making sure her school was safe? She was a teacher who was in her, her, her early 60s in a wheelchair, but because she didn't agree with the principal, guess what grade she taught? Second grade. Who puts a, a, a teacher who's in a chair with osteoporosis and skin cancer in a second grade class? So get the hell out of here. And where's the principal association on this? They're too silent for me too. Yeah, uh, there was a little murmur from Troy early on, but I murmur hell. Yeah, he, they should get up because they're the people who are made to implement that bad policy. And on the front end, they should be opening up their damn mouths and saying, "No, this policy does not work for kids. We've been working for kids for twenty and thirty years. This is not what we're going to do." No. All right, let's uh, shift gears to the national. Uh, we've heard of Bernie Bros. Now of Sanders sisters. Uh, <laughs> I like it. I like it. I just came up with that. You just one. came up with I that. I literally oh just my God. came I'm a up. Sanders sister. Okay. I'm a oh. sister for Sanders. Yeah. Talk about it. You made that decision. So for me, um, I was torn. The last time we talked, I was torn between Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. Um, Elizabeth lost me. She got sixty thousand dollars. From Bill and Melinda Gates. Bill and Melinda Gates have not been good to the black and brown community. So it's a no for me. And if she get that $60,000 back then, just maybe. But for me, it's Bernie. Bernie's reputation is what it is. He's been talking progressive since the start to finish. He showed his hand. Um, it's not about black and white. It's what's right. And he is what's right for this country. The only thing that Trump has done is made us work together and organize. And so our lesson is learned. Because I don't know about y'all, but I wish somebody would take his damn Twitter and go sit him down somewhere. <laughs> I am sick. I've yeah. never been sick of a person like I've been. Now, Ronald Reagan, I'm going to be honest. I, when I figured out all the crap Ronald Reagan do, he did, yeah. I wanted to dig him up and slap him. Yeah. But Trump, we got an opportunity to organize and get him out of the place. And what I will say about Elizabeth Warren is she, she's doing the Hillary to me. Use your power as a woman. That's the re That's one of the biggest reasons why Hillary lost. That one thing that she holds as a woman, she did not use. And Elizabeth Warren is kind of doing the same thing. You got to use the, you, you're a woman. All right, let me ask you this. I think I know the answer, but I'll ask it anyway. Let's say Bernie is not the nominee of the Democratic Party. Uh, let's say Elizabeth Warren is the nominee. She gets my vote. Ain't no... There is no no such thing as that, that I would ever, I don't even say dump. 
I say 45. He does not even get his name announced in my household and out of my mouth. I'll take a list. If the the party gives her the ticket, she is a lot stronger than Hillary was. I will say that. She's a different type. She talks progressive. She knows how we're going to pay for things. And so if the Democratic Party goes with her, I'll go with her. But if they go with Kamala or Corey, I'm moving to Africa. I'm out of here. Kamala, I was hold on, hold on one second, Jen. I have to drink the Kamala Kool Aid. <laughs> mm, it's delicious. Mm, you ought to try some mm, of this Kamala Kool Aid. I am good. All though. right, so here we heard her here first. She's a Sanders sisters, but if Elizabeth Warren wins, she'll become a Warren woman. That's How about right. that? Okay, I'm good with the you. You are on fire today too, <laughs> yes. man. What you have for breakfast? Yes. Uh, by the way, this young man is very happy with your choice. Dennis has been on the Bernie bandwagon for a long time. But you're gonna make me fight with my Candace because she's Warren. Yeah, so. no, I, we all and know that. I was, just, and I'm okay with that because politically, they're they're about the same. It's just some details that I just can't go along with. I, I, so. I got to tell you this. Uh, I've been watching Elizabeth Warren for a long time, and I, I am a fan of her, and I like how she had those Senate hearings. She stood up to Wall Street. Uh, she was unafraid. She was a voice of progressive politics in the uh, Obama White House. So I'm not going to trash. Mm, if, right. if I'm for Bernie, because I, I have a sentimental attachment to Bernie, because he has been in the fight forever, and he mm-hmm. has been consistent. But I'm not going to be one of those people who trashes Elizabeth Warren because that's I right. prefer Bernie Sanders. Right. You know, no, that's do, okay, not fair. That's just that's not how no. I do it. And that's not how I, I operate either. When it came to Lori and Tony, I, I wrote in here in Washington. Well, that was... Pre- I'm sorry, I did. Lori, I felt like it was the police. And Tony, they, they call her the sugar queen. I see, And I struggle with both of them. Mace Jackson calls her the I sugar queen. I struggle with both of them. And I don't like this thing about being a Democrat and we just keep it in a Democrat, which is why I struggle with the thing around the, com- the committee men seat. Yeah. If you do your job... If you do right by your people, you ain't going to get 100%. But you should get 80% of your folks, and they'll keep you in office. And so I don't like this Democratic machine crap. I don't. I don't go along to get along. And I don't want us to pick people in a party just because they in a party. What did they do? How do they operate? Do they vote in the interest of their people? Do they stand up and fight for their people? And so that's what I want this to change. And I hope that's what I bring to the table in this political realm that I don't like being in. All right. Well, let's hope the next time you come on the show, this teacher strike will have been ended uh, and the nurses will be in the schools or at least the commitment to hire the nurses will be in the contract uh, and librarians etc and so forth and Chicago can finally uh, really walk the talk as a civilized city the 21st century a wealthy city and a wealthy country can afford I think you and I agree on this to hire nurses uh, in schools and poor neighborhoods okay I just think psychologists and librarians exactly because we got all these beautiful libraries we bought these books and no librarians. The kids don't even know what the damn Dewey Decimal System is. No, oh, that's an old story, Dewey Decimal. I don't hmm. even know if that exists anywhere. All right, Alderwoman Jeanette Taylor, the pride and joy of the 20th Ward. It's a blast having you in here. Thank, uh, thank you. you so much for coming down. David Ferris, political science professor. We're going to bring him on with Candace Castillo and Samina Mustafa when we do our next uh, debate uh, analysis. And Ramana Hussein. Man, that was, it seemed like a while ago. Ramana Hussein was in here from the Chicago Sun-Times. And of course, the man, the myth, the legend, as Jeanette Taylor knows, he's the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois. And back home in Alton, as Candace Castillo will tell you, they call him White Lightning. Give yourself a raise and take it out of petty cash. See you on Tuesday. 
And remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows and Benny J bonus interviews like this weekend's Benny J bonus interviews. What are they going to be? Well, you're going to have to wait to find out. But you can download them at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites, chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com, or wherever else you download your favorite podcast. Downloaders, we live stream this program. We're up and running. We're doing fine. We had some trouble this week, but... Up and at them now, 100%. Check out the live stream at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show on Facebook or the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel. We'll see you Tuesday.